Hey there, Internet. I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And this is I Will Fight You, a podcast where we've been turning opinion into stone-cold facts since 1986. Today's fact, I forget what our fact was, but it's about cats. It's about cats, <laughs> folks. And you know what? Look, cats is a fever dream. You can't really apply logic to it. You can't really apply facts to it. There is only passion. Unfortunately. We're talking about Cats 2019 and Cats the stage show at the same time. And to do so, we brought in one of our favorite musical theater nerds, Alan Sells. Hi, Alan. Hi. I'm so happy to be here. Less happy to be talking about cats, but just happy to be here in general. <laughs> we finally get you on the show and it's for cats. That's got to be some mixed emotions. Look, I get to talk about the stage show at least, so there's that. <laughs> but yeah, I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. 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 So, so, so Cats 2019 did in fact change the world because for a lot of people, it was the last movie they ever saw in theaters. Yeah, name one thing about the world that hasn't changed since Cats 2019 came out. <laughs> it's either that or Sonic the Hedgehog, and frankly, neither of them bode well. Mm-hmm. It was also the first movie to be patched, which I always think is an interesting fact. <laughs> yeah, no, the movie was released, and then they did, like, a week two patch, where they tried to put more digital fur on all of the very human hands. Oh, the hands. The hands. I hate them. I saw this thing at 10 p.m. opening night, so I saw, like, the unpatched version of Ooh. Cats 2019. Yeah, we saw it a couple days in. I was one of four people in that theater. Because <laughs> <laughs> we saw it, like, a Friday night, and I feel like it came out, like, the day before. So I think we saw it, like, the day after, yeah. Yeah, we saw it, like, right around opening day or something. I remember it was dark when we left the theater, and it was you and me and then Rio and our friend Key. And you and Key drove to the restaurant we were eating at afterwards. Remember eating in restaurants, folks? Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, I chose to walk and Rio chose to walk with me while I burned off some steam, raving, ranting, <laughs> screaming the whole walk there, gesticulating wildly with an umbrella. It's a miracle I didn't kill anyone. <laughs> I did not see cats in theaters. This was my first watch. Oh, Alan. <laughs> I, I did this almost purposefully because I knew at some point there would come a point where I had to watch this movie. So I have avoided everything about it. <laughs> wow. I saw the memes and stuff, but a lot of the um, choices that were made did not get spoiled for me. That's probably why my notes are four pages long and full of all caps. Oh, these are fresh takes. These are fresh takes. Oh my gosh. Okay, so that's Cats 2019, the film. Now, Mackenzie, I think you have the least experience previously with Cats, I guess, 1989 is the recorded stage show version that we're all going to... Uh, 1998. 1998, thank recorded you. recorded stage show. In as much as I was obsessed with Andy Dubbs as a high schooler, as <laughs> many of us were. So then I listened to, like, every song from every show that he ever did, except for Cats didn't grab me. What grabbed me was Starlight Express. Oh, God. Starlight Express is the one that's like Cats, but it's about trains. Yes? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's Cats, but trains. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And roller skates? Are there roller skates? And roller skates. Yeah, there's roller skates. Excellent. And I thought that was the coolest thing. And so Cats just kind of got thumped onto the garbage bags onto the side of the road while I listened to Starlight Express and Phantom of the Opera. And then the Phantom of the Opera movie came out, and I was like, well, while it's bad, I still like seeing it, because I can't see things, because I'm from the middle of Podunk, Indiana. So then I just focused all my love on Phantom. 
But then Cats 2019 came out and you hyperfixated real bad. Yeah, I've hyperfixated. <laughs> Still there. Meanwhile, I have got on record with my Andy Dubbs feelings and my distaste. And then, like, we started talking about, oh, what if we did a Cats 2019 episode a couple years ago? And I was like, okay, but I'm flying out to Alberta to see Kit. <laughs> I'm only going to do this knowing that Kit is a Cats feelings haver. Like, I'm only going to do this. If I can watch the original cats at your apartment and you have to explain this. <laughs> and Kit did not do a very good job. I was, I, I cannot begin to describe to you the whirlwind of emotions I went through that evening. I wasn't even inebriated. To be fair, the stage show, um. It's so much. How can I put this politely? It doesn't have a plot. So the purpose of it is more to be a spectacle, especially when it comes to the dancing, because this, the idea behind it is. Oh, my God. I want I'm so excited to talk about the dancing. Thank you. Yeah. The <laughs> idea is that these are some of the most skilled dancers in the world doing some of the hardest shit that they've ever had to do for two straight hours live. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And like seeing that, seeing the stage show, like I understand now that it's largely a dancing show with songs attached to it. But I wasn't prepared for how many times they would look the camera in the eye and be horny at. <laughs> Uncomfortably horny. And it, it is a deeply, it's a deeply horny stage show. I would argue the stage show is more horny than the movie. Yes. Oh, 1,000%. Yes. That is one yes. of my notes. Yes. The, all the people that were saying that cats were horny, I was like, did you see the stage show? Because this is tame. Yeah. The stage show is way more horny. Yeah. There are different kinds of horny, I would say. Yes, that's true. And I can't quite put my finger on exactly what the difference is, but they are, it might be a matter of one of them is extremely horny, but knows it's going to see a mostly heterosexual audience. And the other one is just queer and horny as shit. I don't know. I will say there were several parts where I have just angrily written in my notes should be hornier about (laughs) the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially when it comes to Rum Tum Tugger. Oh, yeah. Rum Tum Tugger is not the cat that f***s of my dreams. Rum Tum Tugger. Yes. Oh, my God. John Partridge is the superior Tugger. Lucas, I'm just going to say this now. There is no way we can say Rum Tum Tugger without saying Rum Tum Tugger, the cat who f***s. Yeah, I'm sorry, Lucas. It is the cat who f***s. So you're just going to have to brace that one. Yeah. Sorry. Yay, it's not my fault this time. It's usually your fault. (laughs) But this time... The only way we can say Rum Tum Tugger is if we quickly follow it up with the cat who f***s. The cat who f***s. Mm-hmm. Also, I am going to say here, I usually have a law that I cannot tolerate people saying cats' names out loud because that gives them power. And I can't say them out loud because that gives them power. I am suspending that for this episode. Oh, well, thank you. Good, because uh, that would be very difficult to discuss this episode. This would be a very difficult episode otherwise. It's going to be a very difficult episode regardless. Although, neither Cats the Musical nor Cats the Movie, one of my first notes is that at least the Cats the Movie continued the proud tradition of not telling you anybody's name unless it's in song. <laughs> Monkastrap still doesn't get a name in the 2019 movie. Okay, okay, you two. Cats nerds. Hi. Hi. Backstory, go. Cats came out in 1981. No, your backstory. Oh, <laughs> that's harder. <laughs> okay, so. Well, I don't know. You're the one who turned to me and said, that cat made me gay. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> Ooh, 
Yeah, my mom bought the Cats VHS set back in like 98. It was one of those things where they actually had two tapes in there because one of them had all the bonus features on it, like the making of and everything. And I started watching this religiously because I was like eight years old and obsessed with Cats. Cats the music and also Cats the general concept. I've been watching this regularly and steadily since it came out in 98. I have since learned a lot of backstory and trivia about the Cats. Initially from those behind the scenes featurettes on the second tape. And later as the internet became a thing from the internet. There's a Cats wiki, folks. Mm-hmm. Of course there's a Cats wiki. There's a wiki for everything. Fun fact, too, most of those behind-the-scene features have been preserved on YouTube. Um, so you can go on YouTube and see all of them. My history with cats. So I was a band nerd. Shocker. <laughs> Shocking no one. My kin. I started life as a trumpet player. I know. I'm sorry. I started life as a trumpet player, too. <laughs> I played trumpet all throughout middle school and in my first year of high school, but the second year... Low brass or woodwind? Oh, I was trumpet in, in that that period of time. No, I mean, you, you kept being trumpet? You didn't switch to a different instrument? No, I did, but here's where Cats comes in. Okay. <laughs> I grew up in a very rural town. A graduating class was 77 people. High cool. five, Alan! <laughs> <laughs> Our band director really wanted to play the medley of Cats, but memory was on a French horn. Oh! And nobody else had that part. And so he came to me and he was like, hey, Alan, I want you to try this. He gave me a French horn. All the fingerings are basically the same if you hold the trigger. Then he put a different piece in front of me and then he put the medley of Cats and I played Memory. And then we watched the stage show. So Cats is actually the reason that I started playing French horn which I prefer so much more than trumpet. Oh my god, of course you're the French horn nerd! <laughs> oh my god, French horn fits you per- Shit. <laughs> Yeah, I know. So not cats related, but part of my Phantom of the Opera obsession was fed by the same reason, because I used to play trumpet, and then I got moved to tuba for something else, but for marching band, because my high school was so small, and my graduating class was only like 98 in the end, they had to bring up like middle schoolers to play parts in marching band. And my teacher was like, Mackenzie, you've done piano for most of your life, right? And I was like, yes. And he goes, great. Welcome to Xylophone, where you're playing the dee 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 from Family Opera, because no one else can. That's amazing. I also was obsessed with the Phantom movie. Actually, I have a note in here about the Phantom movie <laughs> yeah. because I grew up in rural Alabama and wasn't exposed to a lot of theater. Yeah. And we both probably had to drive three hours to get to any theater that we wanted to see. Uh-huh. Three hours minimum. Yeah. An hour and a half for me. Indianapolis was about two and a half hours. Or you could do the long drive up to Chicago where they did some like first run shows before they went on to Broadway. We saw Spam a lot that way. Ooh. Tim Curry doing soft shoe. I was never allowed to go to Chicago until my brother moved there. <laughs> you were never allowed? Nope. I don't want the actual story there. I just want to believe that Mackenzie Weaver was preemptively banned from Chicago. <laughs> Probably the best bet. It's mostly my mom hates driving anywhere near a city. All the shit that Chicago's got going on and they're like, no, Mackenzie Weaver can't come here. <laughs> Not that <No>. one. <laughs> It'll only make it worse. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a Quentin Tarantino movie there. <laughs> Yes, but with a really good dinosaur museum. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, actual cat's backstory now. Kit, you had something. 
<laughs> yeah. Cats, the original musical, started its run in 1981. Andrew Lloyd Webber was working on it throughout most of the late 70s because he just could not figure this thing out. He really wanted to do it because one of his favorite books growing up was Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats by T.S. Eliot, which is where most of the lyrics in Cats comes from. As a reminder, because you've heard both our James Joyce episode and now at this point our poetry episode, uh-huh. he's part of the Ivory Tower gang who was all super racist because they were all under f***ing Ezra Pound. Mackenzie has feelings about T.S. Eliot. Mackenzie has feelings about T.S. Eliot. I will say that of T.S. Eliot's work that I've read, I do like the book about the cats. He, of all the Ivory Tower guys, he has the most tolerable works. The least bad. Yeah. Yeah. The least bad. Yeah. T.S. Eliot was born in America and then moved to England when he was like a teenager and later renounced his American citizenship and just became a British citizen. So like Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats, despite being written by an ostensible American, is the most British shit you've ever read. <laughs> And this carries over into the lyrics quite a bit of Cats. But yeah, the show came out in 1981. It was the longest running Broadway show until it was overtaken by Phantom of the Opera. That should tell you something. Andrew mm-hmm. Dubbs lapped himself. Throughout the 90s, there are like jokes about like you watch shows from around that time. And one of the running jokes is cats will run forever. <laughs> cats will never not be running. This was the first big spectacle musical. And like you have to understand that this completely changed the landscape of Broadway and West End and musical theater in general. Like it was a game changer. This kind of like mega hit. It was kind of the first blockbuster. In the same way that Jaws changed movies, this changed stage. And then, you know, he decided to do it with Phantom of the Opera. Again. 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 Yeah, he lapped himself. And this time he made it about his self-insert character. (sighs) Yep. And then he decided years later, well, that wasn't enough about my self-insert character. (laughs) I refuse to watch Love Never Dies on principle. (laughs) Oh, but Alan, it's such a good time. Ten years old! He's ten years old, Alan. He's ten years old, Alan. (laughs) I can't. I can't. Here's my favorite part about the fact that we have done a Love Never Dies episode is that now I know that both cats and... Love Never Dies are musicals in which Andrew Lloyd Webber built the entire plot, such as it may be, around everybody agreeing that he wrote a really good song. Yeah. I was saying earlier, basically the one song in the original stage show, I have emotions and bad ones about the song that they added to the movie, but the one song they added to the stage show that T.S. Eliot did not write the lyrics for was Andrew Lloyd Webber's song, Memory who I believe Tim Rice did the lyrics on that one. But Memory was a song he'd had kicking around for a little bit before that point. He performed it at a couple of shows. And then he put it into Cats as sort of the climax, everyone look how special this character is song. I'll admit it, Memory Slaps. Oh yeah, yeah. Memory Slaps. It's a little overplayed, but Memory Slaps. Well, and there's a reason why it's overplayed. Like there's a reason why, even though this movie is a travesty, (laughs) There is a reason why people still talk about it. Jennifer Hudson's back is breaking over carrying this movie and memory. There's a reason why it's so successful. It just, ugh, it's so good. It works. And then the movie put a response song into memory. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get to that. We'll get to me being incredibly pissed off and possibly all of us being incredibly pissed off about the fact that the movie contains a response song to memory, but possibly the most pointless thing to ever exist. I mean, we could always just sort of talk about Tom Hooper, the director of Cat 2019, and how he is at actually directing musicals and knowing how musicals function. Oh my (sighs) god. This man... 
let the actors dictate the tempo whenever the fuck they wanted. And it shows. <laughs> Is that what happened to Mungo, Jerry, and Rumple Teaser? That one... Maybe not because like, so there's a really good video. Sideways is a YouTuber who discusses musical theory and like musicals almost exclusively. He's actually really good. He did a video that exhaustively went into not only Cats 2019, but also a lot of how Tom Hooper, the same director, also did the Les Miserables film. One of the main ways that he directs these things is... He has the actors, generally speaking, unless they actually, like, ask for a click track in their ear, he has them dictate the tempo and the pacing, and then there's, like, a pianist on set who has to try to follow along and actually keep this melody going. That poor person. And then they have to listen to that pianist and that recording, and then the orchestra has to completely rearrange themselves around this singer. Jesus Christ. I hate it. So he describes how you can kind of tell which songs actually have dancers and real stage actors. Yeah, as their principals. See Skimble Shanks because he'll actually be tapping at the beat yep. and following the music rather than the music following him. So you can tell like which numbers in Cats 2019 actually have the click track on because they're like, oh, I'm a goddamn professional. Just give me the click track. Yeah. And Mungo Jerry and Rumpel teasers, that one, I don't know why it's arranged that way, but I do think there was an actual click track enabled for that one. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. I hate it. I can't wait. <laughs> Let's get going so we don't have the talk now. Okay, so my first note is how does this sound more late 80s, early 90s than the actual Broadway show? <laughs> At least when they did it with Phantom, there was sweet guitar. <laughs> Here's the thing. There are lots of Cats numbers that I don't really like being part of and listening to, but there is no way that you will ever get me to look you straight in the eye and tell you that the opening number, Jellical Cats, isn't fucking good. It's so good. And it might just be because I'm very weak to incredibly 80 synth. <laughs> Yeah, the stage show DVD, by the way, has quite a long overture here. The movie, not so much, but it still has a bit of an overture. And then at the end of the overture, we see a big human lady, which immediately freaks me out, yep. <laughs> who then throws a bag that's like moving into like an alley. And then we see our human cats and oh no. <laughs> I like to imagine that she drives off and she drives straight into the Thames and goes straight to hell because no. <laughs> <laughs> she drives to a pet store and she says, can you give me a real cat this time <laughs> <laughs> not some horrid human hybrid i don't want one of these people cats i don't know how big they are they keep changing <laughs> because folks folks there's no consistency how big are cats i have a question i have a question for everyone here i have a question for the audience i have a question for this movie how big are cats how big are cats <laughs> how big are these cats how big are cats because they keep changing. The scale is, look, the scale on the stage show is a little bit questionable, but they're props. Who cares? And it's consistent. It's consistent. Hubert, how big are you? But, 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 all of these incredibly elaborate sets that keep changing, the props that keep changing, the locations that keep changing. How big are cats? I don't know anymore. And then at the end of the overture, out of the bag pops a little white cat because this movie has decided Victoria is the main character. 
This is one of the measures that the movie made to attempt to have a plot is they decided we need a main character and it's going to be Victoria. Okay. In the stage show, Victoria is distinct for two reasons. One is that she has a couple of very, very complicated dance numbers. A ballerina is usually cast Mm -hmm. as Victoria. So she has two very complicated dance numbers, including the orgy scene. There's an orgy scene. There is an orgy. And two, during the climax, during memory, she is the first one to touch Grizabella. There's this implication throughout the show that Grizabella can't be accepted back into the Jellicle cats unless one of the other cats touches her. And Victoria is the one who steps forward and does that for the first time, welcoming her back into the clan. Whether it is intended or not, there's a lot of allegory for like the AIDS crisis and things like that, that... You know, Grizabella went and did this thing, and now she's unclean, and you can't touch her, and all of this stuff. Yep. I don't... Was that an intentional allegory? We just don't know. We just don't know. (laughs) It's hard to tell with Andrew Lloyd Webber, honestly. It really is. He'll take credit for it, but I don't know if it was meant. (laughs) So, Victoria is the new POV. All the cats are singing to Victoria, and this is a major change from the stage show, where the cats are literally singing to the audience. Yes. Right. And this is something that you kind of have to do sometimes when you are transitioning between mediums. Because if you're not doing something that is just a recorded stage show version, such as Cats 1998, or more recently, the Hamilton stage show recording, you are changing the medium, you're changing the kind, you're changing how these things work. And generally how these things work is that in films, you don't tend to address the camera. First off, because the camera is always changing, which camera you're supposed to be looking at. And second, because stage shows exist in a kind of weird place where the audience is there, the audience can be interacted with, and that physical interaction is something that is kind of unique to the stage medium. It's why even when you're watching stage show recordings, there can be something that's a little bit lost in there, but that's the best you can do, and that's sort of the purest form it can take beyond seeing it in person. Exactly. And with cats, like during the intermission, the cats would come out into the audience. And, like, interact with the audience and stuff during the intermission and then go back to the stage. There is a big, big piece and it's missing and it's you. (laughs) Until the very end. Until the very, oh, Jesus. (laughs) My next note is smelling a rat, head in a toilet. What the fuck is happening? Well, I also have another note about Victoria. Victoria, I understand why they picked Victoria, because she's quite visually striking and she's easy to pick out of a big group of people dressed as cats. But Victoria seems like kind of a weird choice for me for two reasons. One, while Victoria isn't quite a silent character, she doesn't have any prominent parts in any songs. She's a backing singer in some of them, but she doesn't really speak or have any songs of her own until the movie when they had to give her one. And also, she's not like the most important character because... While she's the first one to touch Grizabella, Syllabub slash Jemima, depending on which country you're watching this, the show in, is the first one to sing with her. Mm-hmm. And Syllabub is actually the youngest member of the Jellicle cast. She's the youngest kitten. Victoria's one of the kittens, but she's not the youngest kitten. Right. Can we take a step back here and just sort of lay out the structure of this? Because you laid this out for me once of like, there are kittens, there are older cats there are cats who have collars cats who don't do you want me to list all the cats because i can do that i don't want you to list them all by name (laughs) okay 
so the basic concept is is that there are principal cats and then there are chorus cats. Principal cats are cats that have songs about them. So, for example, your Rum Tum Tugger, your old Deuteronomy. The cat your, who fucks. Uh, the cat who <laughs> Your Buster for Jones, etc. Those are the principal cats. And then there are the chorus cats. And the chorus cats also all have names. But the chorus cats don't have songs about them. Although they can be prominent singers in other songs. For example, Monkus Trap is a chorus cat. But he also sings a lot of the other songs. Bomb Ballerina, the cat who made me gay... <laughs> is a chorus cat but is also a fairly prominent part of the musical so and then the cast is also separated out into the toms the queens and the kittens kittens being the youngest members of the jellical cats many of whom haven't been to the ball and it's like victoria and syllabub and alonzo and some of the like the younger ones the toms are like monkus trap and rum tum tugger the cat who fucks plato and the ones like that and then the queens are like demeter bomb ballerina jelly lorem those ones so <laughs> got all these names so yeah. Also, there's the phenomenon of swing cats. There are some cats that are in some productions, but not others. For example, the quintessential example of a swing cat is Mistopheles is a very, very difficult dance role. You need to be a very highly trained dancer to be Mr. Mistopheles in this show. However, Mistopheles also has singing parts in other songs. Sometimes you're not lucky enough to get a dancer who's good enough to be Mistopheles who can also sing particularly well. So in that case, Mistopheles keeps the dance parts and his singing parts are taken over by a swing cat named Quaxo. Quaxil? Quaxo. Q-U-A-X-O. Sure. I gotta love that name. Quaxo. 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 And Growl Tiger kind of fits into that category too, right? He's not in the 98 production. No, he was cut for time. Growl Tiger is a flashback of Gus the Theater Cat. He was cut for time from the 1998 show. And then when the revival came back, Growl Tiger's last stand was gone. And then they cut him from the movie as well, except for the fact that now he's one of McCavity's henchmen instead of a fictional character within the fictional musical. <laughs> mm -hmm. There's definitely a lot of parts when you're watching Cats 2019 where it definitely feels like they just looked at the songbook and didn't actually pay attention to context or anything else. Oh, yeah. And just sort of said, well, this is here. So now we have to put it in the movie. Can I talk about something else that I, I well, I'm going to talk about a lot of things I hate. <laughs> but while we're kind of in the Jellica song in the movie, why did they make Mr. Mistopheles a klutz? One. Oh, God. <laughs> two. Why on earth did they let him trip and then speak sing his line? And what does that accomplish? What is that doing? <laughs> I'll tell you, nothing. I hate incel Mistopheles. Nothing. I hate incel Mistopheles. Why did they do this to my boy? <laughs> oh, he's awful. Look at how they've massacred my boy. Plus, everybody knows that Magical Mr. Mistopheles <laughs> and Rum Tum Tugger are boyfriends. And that is an indisputable fact. That is a fact. I agree with this. <laughs> They're soon, soon boyfriends. As much as there are relationships between any of these cats, those two cats are dating. Yeah, but they had to go and add heterosexuality to it. They had to heteronormatize it. There are several notes I have that are just, uh, get away from her, your boyfriend will be mad. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot make these cats straight, I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, Mistopheles and Victoria kind of feel each other up a lot in the stage show, but everyone feels each other up a lot in the stage show. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's just constantly a lot of people feel Victoria up in the stage show. Yeah. <laughs> Victoria's the warm okay, center of the okay. gangbang during the orgy scene. Yup. Which is why apparently she's our point of view character. <laughs> <laughs> 
so like Victoria is taking the place of like anyone who hasn't been to the Jellicle Ball before. Victoria in the film is our POV character who is completely new to this location, needs to have everything explained to them, as opposed to the stage show where they just straight up acknowledge the audience, give them a side eye and like, what the f*** do you mean you've never heard of Jellicle Cats before? How dare you? Who is this scrub? You plebeian. I see that man. He doesn't know what a Jellicle Cat is. I've never seen a cast member more angry than an audience member is here. How dare you? Generally speaking, anytime that there is an explaining song, it is usually going to be to the audience. Like a, this is who this person is song. Like, that is someone just saying to the audience, like, or to all of the cats at large, hello, look at me, or hello, look at our society. These songs are usually sung to Victoria instead, and you change some pronouns around, and it doesn't quite work. But in Cats 2019, we're all interested in learning about the cats as Victoria sees them, I guess. Uh, yeah. The naming of Cats is a really creepy song, but it's especially a creepy song in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> really? 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 Because, like, in that one, it was creepy. But I think it's creepier in the stage show where the entire cast just gets really close together, stares at the audience unblinking, and whispers at them. <laughs> <laughs> so good. I think it's kind of worse if they move around. That's why the 2019 one is creepier to me. Another thing about the stage show is that typically costuming and everything in stage shows are done and acting is done in stage shows. Body movements are done in stage shows to play to the cheap seats. You're trying to make sure that your motions are big enough that they can be clearly interpreted from way back in the back of the theater. So there is another thing that happens when you actually have like recorded versions is that you have cameras that are going up close into things that usually don't go up close. A lot of times you'll get things where they just sort of try to ignore it as best they can, or you'll do things like with the Love Never Dies recording, where everyone tries to politely ignore the cameras, but they're not used to actually being observed from that angle, so it's weird. Or you can do it like Cats 1998, where they just kind of not only acknowledge the camera, but stare at it and sing directly to it sometimes in a really unnerving <laughs> way. And I think that's on purpose. In my opinion, they don't just make love to the camera, they f*** the camera in 1998, okay? Yeah. <laughs> like... The choreography is very hip and pelvis oriented yeah oh yeah ah looking straight at you rum tum yep the cat who fucks the cat who fucks <laughs> the cat who fucks we are seven minutes in why is mccavity here <laughs> <laughs> this is another thing that the movie has done to attempt to have a plot so there is not really that much of a plot in cats traditionally there are hints of a plot, and then, like, I don't know, 20 minutes from the end, a plot kind of happens with, like, a conflict, a cat gets kidnapped, and then they immediately find the cat again because of a literal deus ex machina, a magical cat. And this cat who is kidnapped, they decided to try and make it seem more like he is there all along and he is actually a menace by having him just sort of appear several times throughout the show, and it's, oh boy, it's, 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 it's Idris Elba, and they made him unsexy. They did. <laughs> also, he says magic and then does magic. Literally, he goes, magic. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> so this is what we're going to do. What did they tell Idris Elba to do here? I don't understand. The man can act. He's a good actor. What happened? Also, his contacts scare me. Uh, also, they put him in a hat and a trench coat, which makes his later number even worse. We're going to get to that. Also, they just kind of matched his fur to his skin. Uh-huh. Which not only makes his later number not make sense, but also makes him look very naked later. He looks like a Ken doll, and it's uncomfortable. 
Idris Elba is the most naked cat in Cats 2019. We'll get to that. The naming of cats. The naming of cats, which is the song about how every cat has three names, the name their human owner gives them, the name that they give themselves, and the secret name that nobody but them knows. That is the point of the song. It goes on for two more minutes after you pick up on that idea. (laughs) It's very long. (laughs) And they whisper the word name for about 10 seconds. (laughs) Over. Yeah, it's and uh, over. And you may think that 10 seconds is a name, short amount of time. Not in Cats 2019. 10 seconds is an awful long time to hear name whispered at you over and over again. <laughs> now, on the stage show, this is where Victoria has her first ballet solo, which then leads into the invitation to the Jellico Ball. But instead, they just basically cut directly to the invitation to the Jellico Ball. Technically, in the movie, Victoria also has a ballet part right about now, but also they just focus on her face the whole time, so you don't really recognize it. Yeah, yeah, this movie is not shot for dancing, which is, you know, kind of weird because it's a dancing show. Yeah, it's also like, it's nowhere near as impressive. What with the fact that nothing looks real and you can't really tell what's CGI and what's actual human performance, and the fact that they've got the benefit of multiple takes and camera cuts, it's not nearly as impressive to watch these people dance. Like, these may be talented dancers. Many of them are extremely talented dancers. You kind of have to be to put on cats, but the camera is not interested in this. The digital fur technology is not interested in this. No. The tails are not interested. The tails when they're dancing. (laughs) But the other thing, this is a very weird nitpick, but like there are points, literally, where (laughs) Victoria is wearing point shoes and you can tell she's wearing point shoes. And then there are times where she's magically barefoot. (laughs) This movie has zero, like, it does not care about consistency at all in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Tom Hooper don't care. Honestly, I really hate the times when the dancers are clearly on point, but they have digitally edited them to have, like, bare cat feet. that's weird! Because point shoes have things in the bottom. I, you don't, what? Stop! How big are cats? How big are cats? Stin, how big are you? This is where, like, the stylized costuming of the stage show works in your favor because they're all basically wearing either dance slippers or point shoes. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to think about, like, and also, like, the I like just I just like the the costumes in the 1998 show. I've seen a couple of different costumes from the Cats productions, but I think the 1998, like, they've got the best costumes because they've got the leotards, the leg warmers, they've got tails that are actually just hooked onto belts and can get used as props. There's a great part during one of the cut numbers that Monkus Trap is actually, like, using his tail as, like, a prop night stick twirling it around and there's a part where rum tongue the cat who fucks is sitting there you just say the whole name it's weird to just say rum tum sorry rum tum tuggery the cat who fucks is sitting there playing air guitar with his tail Mm-hmm. Yes, and also, like, the wigs are, like, big and poofy, and, like, the tops have been shaped into cat ears, and it makes the head look larger and more cartoonish, so you more easily accept that these are people dressed as cats, and the makeup design is very interesting, looking very cat-like. And it blends in with the costume, and it's, uh... They're all gestures of cats. Yeah. It's a cat-like face. They do not do that with Cats 2019. They're fully human faces pasted onto cats. Why did they do that? Look, look, look. If you just see them kitty cat noses, that would improve it like 50%. But no. The other thing 2019 seems to love to do, which I don't, I mean, I get it, but I hate it is we're just going to tell you what's happening. Uh, Yeah. They did add a lot more like spoken lines. Many of them are just rebel Wilson. And yeah, uh, 
James Corden. Yeah. But it's like, let me explain the heavy side layer, but also tell you why all the cats are singing songs about themselves, which I also have a problem with. <laughs> right. You should be confused. I was just like, but what? Oh, oh, okay. Okay. And then Rebel Wilson started as the Gumby Cat. And my note is, oh no. Oh no. <laughs> Rebel Wilson is the Gumby Cat. Oh no. Yeah, Rebel Wilson has one bit. <laughs> yeah, are we ready to dive into the Gumby Cat song? Well, I do want to talk about the old Gumby Cat is where we first get an inkling of what's going to be a major problem throughout the movie. This movie has a lot of star f***ing. Uh-huh. Even by other movies we've watched that have a lot of star f***ing, this movie has a lot of star f***ing. And the problem with having this many famous people in a movie is that a lot of the principal cats don't do a lot of the singing in their own songs. They do some of the singing, but they're mostly sung about. And a lot of the principal cats also fade back into the background and participate in the rest of the show. But if you're a famous person who's in this movie for your ego, you want to sing your entire own song. You want to sing about yourself. You want to be on camera, and you don't want to share the stage with anybody. So as a result, all of these songs have been changed so that the cats are singing about themselves in isolation. That's what I mean. Like, in the stage show, it makes a lot more sense because, in you know, these cats are explaining to the audience who this cat is, what makes them special, all of this stuff. And now we have, instead of a cute little barbershop trio and, like, a little jazzy thing, it's just Rebel Wilson. Yeah. Yeah, it's just Rebel Wilson singing about herself. And, like, usually it feels like if the chorus is all singing about a cat and, like, the ensemble is singing about a cat, it feels like it's a celebration of that cat. Everybody's just like, look at this asshole. I love him so much. <laughs> Instead, it just feels like an actor brought on to sing about themselves and how cool they are and how great they are, which, you know, these are I Am songs, usually in, like, the standard musical formula that Disney sort of latched onto after Howard Ashman introduced them to it. Like, usually I Am songs are reserved for the villain because they're just all like, look at how great I am. So everybody's singing, look at how great this cat is. That feels different than look at how great I this cat am. Also, Rebel Wilson has one bit. <sighs> Rebel Wilson has one bit and that bit is I'm fat. Rebel Wilson, also not a great singer. Sorry. No. Nope. No. 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 Sorry, Pitch Perfect. There was auto-tune. Hey, guys. Alan? Why are the mice children? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. How big are cats, Alan? How big are cats? How big are cats, Alan? How big are cats, Alan? Why are the mice children? And that's some disturbing implications. Because even at one point, Rebel Wilson says, dinner and a show. Rebel Wilson, you gonna eat these children? I don't know if we can construe this as four because they're, I just, I don't know if that flies over to the four threshold, but Rebel Wilson does definitely threaten a whole bunch of small children with floaty faces grafted onto mice with eating them if they don't perform exactly as she describes. And then later on, she does eat a couple of cockroach ladies. Yeah. In the stage show, when they bring on other animals like mice and cockroaches and dogs, it is the cats in costumes that they've clearly made out of trash. It's yeah. actually kind of charming. It's so charming. <laughs> uh-huh. Because again, everybody's just singing about this one cat they like and they're all joining in. Also, Rebel Wilson has completely misread the purpose of the old Gumby cat because 
Jenny Anydots as a character is supposed to be a very specific British archetype of the neighborhood busybody. I'm not sure if there's quite an American analog <laughs> to it. Maybe like the head of the neighborhood watch. But the idea that there is somebody... Mary Worth. <laughs> the old idea there's an older lady in the neighborhood who is overly concerned with everybody else's business and making sure that everyone's like productive and a good member of society. Ah, yes, Mary Worth. Yes, Mary Worth. And meanwhile, like Jenny Anydots is just Rebel Wilson saying, I'm fat for two minutes yeah and then she she takes off her skin okay <laughs> okay okay here okay so okay so okay so off her skin so in the stage show the bit is fat slow moving character takes off the big coat and surprise they're thin and they can dance sure whatever and they do a tap dance and it's cute and fun and the dress is all flowy and neat and uh, However, 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 Rebel Wilson is already fat. Rebel Wilson is fat. That's her shtick. She understands that this is, you know, the role that she has been assigned by Hollywood and has decided to lean into it. Okay. However, they do the same thing where they take off the ostensible fat suit, except it's just Rebel Wilson again. <laughs> Wearing a skin-tight suit, she zips off her own skin to reveal the same skin, the same body, but this one has an outfit over it. So Rebel Wilson's Jenny Anydots is at all times wearing no less than two layers on herself <laughs> at all times, ready to rip them off at a moment's notice. And I have never before in my life been so disgusted to say, keep that in your pocket for later. <laughs> So, you know, that's weird. And then you have, like, honestly, 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 for Cats 2019, the moment when I first started having a break with reality, that was the shot that is all of the extremely small cockroach chorus girl dancers marching down on a table while we have some extreme close-ups of, like, two cats staring at them hungrily, perhaps with wonder, but with a look that I cannot quite be comfortable with where it turned on. And just watching these, these girls march, out of time, by the way. Yep. They are out of step and out of time. I 100% noticed that too. Oh, God. <laughs> and that was the point when my brain was like, what the hell did you pay $13 for? <laughs> the other thing that I hate about this entire sequence of many things that I hate about the sequence is they do the exposition thing again, where Victoria literally turns to Ginny Anydots and goes, so why do you want to go to the heavy side lair? Right. Let's be clear here. All of these cats are auditioning to be murdered. <laughs> Every cat that you see singing a song about themselves wants to die. Yep. And they are auditioning for the ability to die. And hers is just, I want out this kitchen. Leave. Then leave. <laughs> what? Why? Windows open. Cats come and go. Why? Why the murder? Why the necessary murder? What is going on? Frankly, most of the cats seem like pretty jazzed about their own personal schedules and lives. This one wants to die. These cats want to die. They do. And then the rum tongue tugger shows up. The cat who. Hey! Now, here's the thing. I'm not sure I can call this rum tum tugger the cat who fucks. This is rum tum tugger the cat who. Ugh. Yeah, so that's the problem with Jason Derulo's Rum Tum Tugger. I watched the video that Annie was referring to earlier, and according to him, Jason Derulo actually does a pretty good job here because he's an actual singer, so he understands how beats work. Song-wise, he's fine, but he does not have the charisma to pull off Rum Tum Tugger. 
Yeah, he's not as openly, blatantly sexual as John Partridge is in the, in the stage show. John Partridge is the, by far the superior tugger. John Partridge in 1998, he is doing Prince. Yes, he is Prince. He's doing Prince. He's doing it awesome. And, like, if you look up each of these cats, is like, three words associated with them. And rum t- um, tuggers are, like, vain, perverse, and inconsequent. And John Partridge, he's fucking nailing it. Yeah, he is so good. He is the cat that fucks embodied. He's got this great big fur ruff that he, like, pulls up as if he's flipping up his collar. Oh, it's so good. He's got this chain belt that he constantly hooks his thumbs into. He's got driver's gloves on. Most of his, like, body language is hip gyration. Oh, yeah. Yes. It's choreographed so that everybody is obviously like, oh, he's charismatic, but he's also got the charisma to make you feel like it's not choreographed. Mm-hmm. To be fair to Jason Derulo, which is, again, a sentence I'm not sure I ever thought I would say, <laughs> they literally, literally undercut him from the get-go because Jenny Anydots is like, oh, I heard he got neutered. That's how he hits the high notes. What? Okay, yeah. Yeah, we keep flashing to fucking Rebel Wilson just making stupid jokes. And it lingers. It lingers yeah. after the joke for a solid 10 seconds. And you're just yeah. like, what is happening? Yeah, one thing Sideways talks about in his video about this is that this is something that they do throughout the show, is that instead of letting a number build, letting the excitement build, letting the music, the tempo, the key, letting all of that grow, it keeps stopping in the middle of the number, usually to cut to either like a really slow bit for no reason, like say with the Jenny Any Dots bits where she's deeply concerned with Ferris and the Mice, or like uh, what we get later on with the interminable Mistopheles. Or right here, when instead of everybody just being shoved into this uncomfortably horny moment and you have to stay there forever until the music <laughs> is over, so you just kind of Stockholm symptom your way into being like, yeah, this is fine. Let's do it. The cat who fucks. They keep cutting over to Rebel Wilson doing bits yeah. about how he's not so great. I could do that too, but I am awkward and fat. These are the jokes. Also, like, I talked about how John Partridge is being much more sexual, much more Prince in this. Oh my god, so good. I can't help but think about the fact that there's been, like, 20 years of changing cultural attitudes towards men as sexual subjects. Jason Derulo isn't nearly as sexual, and I can't help but think that part of that is that they've made this movie a lot more heteronormative. John Partridge is there to be looked at. He wants you to sexually desire him. He doesn't care who you are. But meanwhile, Jason Derulo was like, well, I want to be sexy, but I don't want to be too sexy because then guys might think I'm sexy, and that's gay. Because then the gays. That would be gay. Spoiler alert, who do you think your audience is? <laughs> Have you seen how many theater kids do you know that are still straight completely? It's theater. I'm sorry. It's zero. Zero. <laughs> yeah. We have to talk about the milk scene. Uh, okay. So one of the other ways they stop this number in the middle of it is there's a milk bar on this little street corner set. And Jason Derulo notices this, turns to the camera and screams, Mel! <laughs> it's so bad. My note. What? My note is, this is just so much light and noise and all the milk. There's so much milk. There's so much of it. And they do the thing. They do the thing where they are clearly people cats. But sometimes they still do excessively cat things, but in ways that, like, 
because they're such people cats, you don't quite you don't quite buy it. Yeah, you don't quite buy it. These people crouch down, stick their faces in saucers of milk, and lick with their human tongues. <laughs> what is happening? The other thing that disturbs me here is there is one point where Rum Tum Tugger, the cat who tries, maybe, <laughs> looks at his reflection in the chrome and it looks human? Like, the distortion <laughs> of it makes the face look, like, more human. And I was just like, oh, I thought I was in Uncanny Valley before. I'm gone. Like, I don't know what's <laughs> up anymore. I don't know what's real. Uh, just, uh And then my next note is, okay, Jennifer Hudson, save me. <laughs> real quick, though. Kate, you told me once that, that they tried to update Rum Tum Tugger the Cat Who Fucks. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, right. I read about this. There was a short-lived period during the stage show where they decided that Rum Tum Tugger wasn't going to be Prince anymore. He was going to be a rapper. He was going to be a rapping street cat. <laughs> this lasted for approximately 10 months, and then he was stricken from the record, and we don't talk about him anymore. <laughs> I've seen a photo. It's bad. It's dire. He break dances. It's not good. You know how white people think rappers look? Although, I will say, talking about break dancing, the B-boys in this movie were really good. Yeah. The one scene where they have, like, the ballet and the break dance, and it, it com kind of combines modern and classical dancing, I actually really liked it. I thought that was actually pretty well done. Yeah, this movie has the bourgeois twins in it. We'll talk about them later. Yeah. There are very talented dancers and performers in this show. It's just that the movie is often not interested in actually featuring them or shooting them in a way that actually lets them show off. Exactly. This movie has zero interest in... I don't even know what this movie is interested in. That's a great question. I think that's what I've been trying to figure out this entire time is what does this movie want me to take away from it? Aside from... The f***. <laughs> so before we get into Jennifer Hudson, we have seen it with Jenny Any Dots by this point, who you may notice is no longer doing quips after this song. That is because oh yeah, after each of these numbers happen, McCavity Idris Elba shows up to magic away each cat. <laughs> it was not clear to me the first time that he had magicked away Jenny Any Dots. I thought he just fucking marked her, which honestly I would have been for in the movie. <laughs> They just sort of dissolve into dust. And frankly, this is cat space. They may just dissolve into dust. I, I, I just, I, I'm so confused about... We are trying to do a plot here with the cavity. About everything. And we'll get to where they're going, which doesn't answer any questions, actually. <laughs> it just raises more. Yeah, unfortunately. I can't help but wonder if this particular storytelling device is another excuse for the celebrities they've got playing some of the cats to not have to share the stage. Oh, 100%. Yeah, just 100%. Absolutely that is what is happening. Otherwise, they'd have to, like, fade into the background and be part of other songs, but now they just get to be gone. Now they just get to be gone. Right, and then they just get to have, like, one really intensely closed set that they shoot at for probably two days solid. So instead, though, in the meantime, it's memory time, but only a little, but not really. It's Grizabella the Glamour Cat. <laughs> This is the actual plot of Cats. This is the emotional plot of Cats. Okay, so I got a uh, confession time. All right. This is probably, aside from memory, of course, because memory, this is probably my favorite number in the show. 
Oh, really? I adore this number, especially in the 98 show, just because Ellen Page gives so much to it. And the disdain from the other cats and the way the music plays, it's just, it's so good. Yeah, also just the choreography of, as Kit said earlier, it's all about Grizabella trying to rejoin the Jellicle cats and not being touched. And you see, like, the kittens reaching out to touch her and being shoved away by the older cats who are like, no, don't do that. And I love that. It's very good. There is a change here that I don't like. The one who is the most hostile towards Grizabella is, I looked it up, it is actually Demeter. In the stage show, Demeter is actually one of the few queens who's at least at least a little sympathetic mm-hmm. to Grizabella. Like a couple of times she'll reach out to Grizabella and then Bomb Ballerina will come along and block the way. Demeter and Bomb Ballerina in the stage show are like sisters, besties, lovers, can't quite tell. They're close. But Demeter has this interesting energy where she's like, it feels like she's on the same path that Grizabella was at one point. She's a little distant from the rest of the cats. She's clearly got some things going on, like in her head, in terms of like regret and guilt and things like that. Like the way the actress performs it in the stage show. She's got some shit going on. Whereas Demeter in the movie is just openly hostile to anyone who's not part of the Jellicle cats already. And so the fact that she is the one that like pushes Grizabella away the most is like a weird change to me that I don't like. Oh yeah, and I should emphasize that I was referring to the choreography in the stage show, not in the movie. Yes. Yeah, I do want to be clear here that all of these things about many of these cats characters are things that are interpreted from the way that the actor is playing them in the background in the chorus. Yes. Here's the thing about cats, that there's not a whole lot of actual text there, but there's enough text for people to go wild over. Yeah, to make a whole wiki out of. Except in Cats 2019, where we get more unneeded explanation about who Grizabella is and what's going on, and oh, she hooked up with McCavity. Yeah. And it's just, why did we need that? Obviously, you're shunning her. Like, that's it. You're shunning her. Done. Uh, I do quickly want to bring up some of the information that we have about these cats. From what we have from the behind the scenes featurettes, some of the people playing the cats were given some of the cats' backstory. Not a whole lot of backstory in a lot of cases, but you will hear the actors talk about the cat and there's like a bit of history, a bit of backstory going on there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's enough for them to, to give an idea of the kind of body language they should be employing. Yes, exactly. For example, in some productions, the actors are given the instruction like, oh, Rum Tum Tugger is Monkus Trap's younger brother. Ha! Huh. That's not universal across a lot of the stage productions, but when they want to bring out that energy between those two characters, they tell the actors to play it like that. Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. Okay. All right, so we have Grizabella's number. This is a song about Grizabella, the glamour cat. And the whole idea is that this is a cat who is kind of gross looking, kind of alone. We don't talk to her. We don't look at her. She's terrible. They sing a little bit of that song here in the Cats 2019 version and then move on to being like, who the hell is that? Why don't we like her? And the line is like, she went with McCavity, which, by the way, don't know who McCavity is at this point in the text. And went with McCavity is so vague as to mean nothing. How long has this blood feud with McCavity and the Jellicle Cats been going on? This raises so many questions that didn't need to be here. All you need to know is the lyrics may as well be Grizabella the cat we hate. Yeah. Right. That's all you need to know. The subtext of the original one was maybe a metaphor for sex work. We don't know. Sex work, (laughs) even, you know, getting close to someone who's ill or something like that. There's a lot of open interpretation to what Grizabella meant. But in the movie, it's just, yeah, we hate her. 
She made one mistake and now she is exiled from our community. Forever. It doesn't even sound like she did anything to them. Just she got into a bad relationship, maybe? And then Buster for Jones. Anyway, now it's time for a fat cat. Another one. Oh, boy. Now it's time for James Corden being sh- Oh, God. And this is where my big note is of why, oh, why do they not have the other cat sing about them? Because the lyrics, like it says, and we're all so proud to be nodded and bowed to, the first time he sings that line, that they should be proud to be nodded and bowed to by him. But then they flip it and then they start singing about him. And I'm just like, why didn't you do that in the first place? Yeah, changing the pronouns around indiscriminately doesn't quite sell the song the same way. Or the character. Also, real quick note. For me, out of all of these really, really stupid cat names, the most believable stupid cat name in this entire show to me is that there is a fat cat that someone has named Busterford Jones. Yes. Yes, that tracks. Yes. Busterford Jones is referred to as the St. James's Street cat. St. James's Street is the district of London that has most of the gentlemen's clubs on it. In America, gentlemen's club just means strip club, but there's a more of a history out there. They date back to like the Victorian era or even earlier. The idea was it was this this almost secret society type club that you could go to and hang out and not have to be around the wife and talk to the other boys and read newspapers and like folks if you've seen Bridgerton that's the club that all of the male characters go to it's that kind of thing yeah it's just a big expensive clubhouse that serves food so the idea of this cat is that he just goes from clubhouse to clubhouse and he gets fed scraps from the table and that's why he's gigantic because the food they serve at these places is like really really decadent I should note that my notes for this is this is the cat that Hubert wants to be. And right as we got to it, Hubert walked into the room and jumped in my lap. No. <laughs> now here he is. He would love to be that fancy of a gentleman. He wants to be a fancy fat boy. Now I have a question. All right. A very important question. Uh-huh. Why did we interrupt the song for some <laughs> horse shit about a, <laughs> about a fucking seesaw? That they have to go and get an anvil. He, he he's he hesitates when he calls them cats. He, he he says a line, and I can't remember what the line is, but it's like, did you really think you were gonna get all those cats to do that? And it's like, what was the pause? What was the pause, bro? Why did you pause? He also makes some kind of a quip about being sensitive about his weight when he's just sung a whole song about how happy he is to be fat. <laughs> yep. He's a happy fat boy. And then he's like, you know I'm sensitive about my weight. How dare you? How dare you? A seesaw bit. And then we get a nut shot. And I hate it. (laughs) (sighs) This is the second time. Has James Corden been a positive influence on any movie he's been in? I'm leaning towards no. 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 In in general, as a note, everybody, James Corden sucks. This is the second time in Cats 2019 that the movie calls attention to a cat's balls or lack thereof. (sighs) There's also... Again, a small nitpick, I guess. When he falls into the thing, Rum Tum Tugger, the cat who flirts, is there. (laughs) Oh, damning with faint praise. Pours champagne into Buster for Jones' mouth. The flow of champagne perfectly follows his mouth. None spills out. None gets on his chest. It is obviously digitally put in there, but it's... I... What? No! What? Fluid doesn't flow like that! Ha- no! Hey guys, how big are cats? How big are cats? 
How big are cats? How big are cats? How big is the fish bone? How big is the champagne bottle? How big are cats? Just the I am disgusted gif. And the McCavity steals him and no one cares. Then McCavity shows up and whisks him away and saves us from having to deal with James Corden anymore. Which <laughs> I think makes McCavity the hero of this movie. I think that's what that means. Yep, I think so. They scatter and then Victoria runs into Mungo Jerry and Rumpelteaser. Or my notes are, why are they so creepy to start with? Because in the 98 stage show, they're very playful. Like it's mischief more than evil yeah (laughs) in the 2019 version they are clearly noir cat burglars and i think they made the music in minor key which is also offsetting for no apparent reason like what why also the lyrics are spoken word too yeah just no what the did they do to this song they also made it boring Let's lay this out real quick. Our next number is a duet number called Mungo Jerry and Rumpelteaser about two twin cats who just sort of knock shit over all the time in their house. And for some reason, their owners don't throw both of them out. By the way, real quick sidebar here. All of the song lyrics here are not actually like they don't actually match up to the energy the cats are bringing to this. For example, Rum Tum Tugger, the cat who f***s. The lyrics are actually the least sexy thing you can imagine, but the Mm -hmm. power of John Partridge just kind of transforms everything into extreme horned. But Mungo Jerry and Rumpelteaser is basically just a duet acrobatic number in the stage show. That's the whole point of this thing. For Cats 2019, they changed the arrangement of this song. I think it's in a 4-4 or something now. I don't know, but like there are parts in the stage show version where it shifts over into like a 7-8 when they do some really complicated stuff. But they changed the arrangement for this one to make it a bit more slow, a bit more sly, a bit more almost like menacing. Whereas the stage show's arrangement makes it much more light and playful and bouncy. Yeah, the stage show, it's a jazzy vaudeville number, basically. And like I said, one is mischievous, one feels sinister. They are absolutely trying to seduce Victoria in this. And it, 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 mm, mm, it doesn't work for me at all. It works for Victoria. She's into it. Oh, she's into it. <laughs> but I just, ultimately, I thought the number was just kind of boring up until Rumble Teaser puts a pin through Mungo Jerry's tail. Ow! Yeah, there was that. Hucks a pin, stabs it through his tail, and it is not remarked upon. I also want to point out that the reason that Mungo Jerry and Rumpelthuser's very rich family don't throw the cats out, despite the fact that they steal food directly out of the oven, is that they can never figure out which cat did it. Just do both! It never once occurs to them that they could be working together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just throw out both cats, it's fine. Mungo Jerry is really odd in that he is apparently a male calico cat, which is not common, I don't think. That's a cat with Kleinfelter syndrome. He's got two X chromosomes and is also, as a result, infertile. Anyway, you guys need to fight about this now. I honestly think both of them are interesting and have certain merits, but there has been a fight brewing here for several weeks. The thing that I have to say about it is while I love the stage show's choreography, I freaking hate the singing. (laughs) It just sounds so bad. And yeah, it's, just, it's, it's just, very cockney. It's very cockney. Oi, we gonna have some cats, bruv. And Rumpelteaser's voice is just particularly shrieky in my ears, and so whenever I hear it, I just... Very shrill. I just start cringing, and I hate it so much. And so I will take the movie version any day. I hate that they changed the tempo. It's like someone paused my music for half a second while I'm walking. It just throws me off. It threw me off so bad. So bad. Give me the film version any day of the week. I don't know what's 
happening? Why are they? Because the whole time I'm like, why are they evil? They're not evil. Why are they evil? They're not evil. <laughs> the whole tribe is sick of their shit, but they're not evil. Spoiler alert. <laughs> apparently in 2019, they are evil. My only idea of what happened there is that, like, I think there's a line in the McCavity song where they mentioned Mungo Jerry by name. And so they decided to extrapolate from that. Oh, they're hench cats. <laughs> also, 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 throughout this entire Cats 2019 number, I have to ask yet again, how big are cats? How big are cats? Because <laughs> this is inconsistent. Throughout this entire house, things are big, too big, or too small, and I don't understand. And then the song finishes up with the sound of a dog being woken up and charging the room that the cats are in. When I watched this movie for the first time, I was mortally terrified of what the dog was going to look like. Me too. How big are dogs? Thank God they don't show us a dog. <laughs> the dog seems to be so big. They also just say, f*** Victoria at that point. Yeah, and flee. In weirdly... Okay, talking about how horny this movie is, was there a little BDSM action there? <laughs> it kind of felt like... It kind of felt like a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. The whole point of the Cats 2019 Mungo Jerry and Rumpel teaser is they want to have sex with Victoria. Yes. They want to have sex with her so bad... They end up on the bed together. There's a face that breaks. They don't care. They want to have sex with this cat lady until they're done. And then they abandon her to the dog and heteronormativity wins again and Mistopheles has to come in and save her. Hello, Victoria. It's me, Mr. Mistopheles. <laughs> I'm so charmingly clumsy. Uh, I hate incel Mistopheles. I hate it. 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 So, like, they basically attempted to give Mr. Mistopheles a character arc in this along with, you know, Victoria doesn't really have a character arc, but she, you know, is a POV character. She's just sort of something for us to place ourselves onto as the audience. But they decided that Mr. Mistopheles needed a character arc so he can learn to believe in himself or something or whatever. His whole shtick here in this leading up to his number is he is clumsy and bad at magic, but thinks Victoria's cute and wants to impress her. Yeah, they take the shy bit from the Mistopheles song and have that override the entire character. Mistopheles in the stage show is, he's not quite a kitten, but he's still quite young. And he's cool, but not nearly as cool as he thinks he is. He's got sort of like mm -hmm. some fun energy going on. He has a bit of fun at Rum Tum Tugger, the cat who f***s his expense during Rum Tum Tugger. The cat who f***s. The cat who f***s. He pitches in on a couple of songs. There's a couple of moments where he's like all ready to start introducing something. And then Monka's Trap sort of gently pushes him aside and starts doing the actual emceeing of the night. It's a fun character. And then when he does finally pop up, it's sort of rewarding to find out, oh, this cat who's just kept popping up and thinking he's important is actually important. This is cool. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, we need to solve a problem. Why don't we ask our friend, the cat who knows how to do literal magic? <laughs> the cat who can defy the laws of space and time for our benefit. Honestly, the most inexcusable bullshit about Incel Mistopheles is that it's no longer a dance role. Yup. Yeah. If we're ready to move on, can I read my notes to you? I would love that. F you, Victoria. <laughs> <laughs> At least she sort of saved herself. Why was that necessary? Why is any of this necessary? Spoken exposition? Why? What is this boat? Why are we in the middle of the Thames? Who the fuck is Growl Tiger? Did research in the oh. London production and other things that I wasn't aware of. We just go to the Thames. 
Okay, yeah, no, this is the part where we find out where all the other cats have been disappearing to. It's a boat on the Thames, like a garbage scow on the Thames. Just They're uh, all chained up now. Literally, with chains! How big are cats? How big are cats? Also, Growl Tiger is here. Growl Tiger, for the purposes of the original stage show, is a fictional character. He's a character that Gus the theater cat played at one point. You sort of see Growl Tiger during a flashback that Gus has to his glory days. But no, here he's just a pirate cat that's here for some reason. And has a song. He has his own little boat. He has a little song. And because our formal actors, stage characters are here, they're like, oh, let me do a bit playing off of your little song. I'm going to acknowledge the fact that this is a musical and we're all singing about ourselves. Isn't that weird and funny? No! Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a musical! You're supposed to suspend your disbelief! That's how this works! Also, did did Growl Tiger try to lobotomize Bustopher Jones, or was that just my interpretation of what happened? I don't know. I He, he like, takes his claw and sticks it in his head. And Bustopher's like, oh, nope, I, I will stop talking now, blah, 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 like James Corden being awful. And I just, why? Why? Don't have an answer for you. I why? really wish I did. And then old Deuteronomy time. Right. Now it's time for Dame Judy Dench. Oh, Dame Judy Dench is a wonderful actor. She has had a long career. She deserves her long career. And I feel like this was a movie that was not really interested in having her act. So they just sort of had her come on. They didn't really give her any direction. They just kind of said, hey, Dame Judy Dench, will you pretend to be a kitty cat for a few hours? And she was like, yeah, okay. All right. Why not? I'll pretend to be a kitty cat. What's my character? Just pretend to be a kitty cat, Judy Dench. She was actually going to be in the London production of Cats in the original run, but like right before it was about to start up, she injured herself and it had to go to the understudy. So like, Oh my gosh. This was her first chance to be in Cats after that point. Oh, that must have felt like so fun for her. She's got an emotional attachment to like being in Cats. I can sort of understand, but like they did not give her any direction. They were just like, do the thing Ken Page did. (laughs) The other thing that I love about this is like you have the old Deuteronomy song going on and you start seeing more and more of the chorus come in. And this is the first time you see Gus, the theater cat. And he's like standing at the stairs and he and old Deuteronomy, their eyes meet. And I'm like, wait. These cats f***ed. They f***ed. These cats f***ed. They are implying that they boned. 100%. That's right, everyone. Dame Judi Dench's character and Serene McKellen's character boned. Yep. <laughs> You've got Monka's Trap emceeing for most of this song, but also, like, in the original stage show, Rum Tum Tugger's a big contributor to this song. Yeah. Yes. Rum Tum Tugger in the stage show has a really interesting chemistry with old Deuteronomy. Like, there's genuine respect and deference there, but a little bit of playfulness as well. There's one bit, you know when you watch something so many times, you just start watching the stuff that's going on in the background? Mm-hmm. There's a bit I really like with old Deuteronomy and Rum Tum Tugger, where old Deuteronomy is watching the cats dancing and cavorting about on the stage and Rum Tum Tugger's just kind of hovering over his shoulder and then just turns to him, says something, and then gestures expansively at the rest of the cats. And it's sort of like, it's a cool energy where like you're keeping grandpa company while the other family reunion stuff is going on, but you're making sure he feels included, you know? It's a fun energy to the character and adds a lot of depth to Rum Tum Tugger. Rum Tum Tugger does not participate in this song in the movie. (laughs) At all. 
Yeah, it's interesting because, like, it really feels in this stage show version where Rum Tum Tugger, the cat who f***s, is part of the introduction of Old Deuteronomy as Old Dute arrives. It's like, it feels almost like Rum Tum Tugger, especially with how much he participates in a lot of these numbers, that he's kind of like the number two of, of this group of cats. Mungustrap, who, by the way, is the gray cat that keeps singing. He seems like he's sort of the president of the local chapter of Jellicle Cats or whatever. Yeah. And Rum Tum Tugger feels kind of like he's sort of the vice president president that everybody actually kind of likes better (laughs) i mean fair he doesn't have as much responsibility he doesn't ever have to be the bad guy so he's just sort of like the fun uncle yep like there's this point in the stage show where deuteronomy arrives and like they even exchange like a specific respectful nod for each other the only laugh that this film got out of me was ian mcclellan going (laughs) meow 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 (laughs) Oh, God. I cracked up. I was like, oh, my God, this has reached peak insanity. Like, it just sails over anything I expected. But that that actually made me laugh. Yeah, because, like, in Cats 2019, we're doing this point where everyone is sort of, as old Deuteronomy arrives, we've been wandering around this back alley set for a while, and now we are migrating into this abandoned theater where all of the rest of the performances are going to take place. And it's a beautiful set. It's a nice set. So all of our other principles for the rest of the numbers are flowing in, too, in the background. Everyone is preparing for these. I guess this is going to be the actual Jellicle Ball. Yes, and you can tell that because they all start vibrating. They all just start (laughs) vibrating, and I don't know what's going on. Yeah, you know when you f*** up in Unity and two objects end up trying to occupy the same space and they both vibrate until one of them rockets into the atmosphere? (laughs) That's where they f***ed up in this movie. Yep. Just got two virtual objects trying to exist in the same space and they're not interacting properly, so everyone starts vibrating. They also cut a number here. Yeah. They cut the awful battle of the peaks and the pollicles, and I know why they cut this number. It's because it involves repeated use of the phrase heathen Chinese. Oh, boy. It's not good. (laughs) It's not good. It's because it's T.S. Eliot. He's part of the Ivory Tower. (laughs) Yeah. He's a racist. T.S. Eliot, like many other people in London at the time, was really racist against the Chinese. The whole point of the song is that it's this historical drama that Monkus Trap is having everyone perform, describing a, a battle between these two clans of dogs, the Peaks, i.e. Pekingese, and the Pollicles, which are just like London mutts. Pollicle dog, an analog to Jellicle cat. And it's talking about all these other dog tribes joined in, and then the rumpus cat showed up to chase everybody off. Bark, 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 bark. Oh my god. I'm kind of sad. Like, (laughs) I understand why they cut it, but I feel like they could have tried to keep it in and just cut out the line heathen Chinese because it establishes kind of something very important for me with this little production. The Peaks and the Pollicles is a very chaotic number. You've got cats dressed up in like makeshift dog costumes that they made out of trash and just them like fake barking at each other. And Monk is trapped desperately dashing around trying to keep this thing under control because it's like, God damn it, guys, we have so long to rehearse. You're embarrassing me in front of old Deuteronomy. Put it together. <laughs> Get your shit together. This is absolutely a whole bunch of people just coming up to be like, hey, Grandpa, 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 we did the, Grandpa, look, Grandpa, look, look, we, 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 look at this. This is the kind of energy with which you present a grandparent with like a drawing that you really, really hope they're going to put on the fridge. Because it establishes this whole organization as sort of ramshackle and chaotic, it actually makes it a lot more charming. 
and it sort of makes you appreciate the rest of the show a little bit more. That you're like, oh, this is just essentially a big chaotic family reunion. That's functionally what this is. But they cut the numbers, so instead we go directly to the Song of the Jellicles, where they explain what a Jellicle cat is again. In case you missed it the first time, which, frankly, I can understand why. And Mistopheles is cheating on his boyfriend again, which is... Right. Unacceptable, really. When in the stage show does the orgy happen? I forget. It happens during the Jellicle Ball. Okay, so this is where the orgy usually happens. This is where the 10-minute orgy scene is. Right. Mm -hmm. And boy, folks, you think that maybe we're just being playfully horny here? No. 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 Uh Uh-uh. There are stage actors writhing around on each other. Running hands over crotches, like... There's a really good pas de deux in the middle of it, and pas de deux are usually horny, but everyone in the background is just being extra horny while the pas de deux is happening. Yeah, Victoria gets another ballet solo here because she's wearing a really tight leotard and, like, slings one of her legs really far up at one point. You're like, oh, that is a whole vagina. Uh-huh. Let's not mention Victoria, like, especially because a lot of the ballet is very slow. As you may know, it is very hard to do something like that slowly and with control. This is an incredibly talented ballet performer. Okay, there are very few times that I ever want to get into, like, internet comment fights. But there was one on this, like, there was a short clip on the Cats YouTube of her dance. And somebody was like, oh my god, she's trembling. Why? Uh, She's clearly... Yeah, because it's hard. Because it's fucking hard, dude. Like, what the hell? Have you ever tried to, like, just try to lift weights or something, but do it really slowly and controlled? That's the hard part. And on point. There's no momentum there. And on point. And on point. And on point shoes. All of her weight is on her toes right now. That is not how a human body is supposed to function. She has had to train for years and screw up her feet real bad in order to do that. Yeah. Real bad. I will say, at least that comment occurs a lot. And every time it occurs on, like, a ballet show, it's always fun to see the ballerinas go for the throat on that commentator. Oh, good. Good. Because one of my favorites is the Sleeping Beauty introduction to the princess one, where basically a ballerina's on point for literally four fucking solo dances. Wow. And just standing there while a prince comes up and introduces himself and then very slowly spins her. And she's basically on point for 15 solid minutes. Ooh. And so every time someone in the comment is always like, but she's like trembling though. And there's always 500 replies and it's always 500 ballerinas going, bitch, (laughs) you don't know how hard this is. This is the hardest ballet part to play is Aurora. Shut the f*** up. (laughs) Good, 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 good. I'm very glad. Just bitch, you listen. You're using muscles that don't usually get used that way. (laughs) Yeah, so we have the orgy scene. Grandpa presides over the orgy. Yeah, Grandpa presides over the orgy. My note for the end of it is virgins because they all fall down. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) They do all fall down. Also, there is a bit, this is where we get to see the bourgeois twins perform. I actually have an interesting story about the deal with these two characters as like cats, not just as the performers. These are the two dancers from Men in Black International, a movie only I saw, by the way. Oh, neat. That is neat. I haven't seen it, but you're right. Men in Black International is like fun, but also there should have been a monster romance with the alien at the end. Just saying. Yes, there should have. Cowards. But yeah, this is Larry and Laurent Bourgeois. They are fairly famous dancers. The two cats here are Plato and Socrates. And the interesting thing about this is that Socrates is an invention of this movie. Socrates was not in the stage show. The purpose of Plato in the stage show is 
McCavity, the character, is only on stage for, like, one number and has a couple of appearances. For the rest of the show, the actor who plays McCavity is a chorus cat named Plato. Ooh. Mm -hmm. So Plato's actually McCavity's alter ego, in a manner of speaking. But here, it's weird that they decided to give Plato a counterpart and call it Socrates and have those be a pair. Because Katz already has a pair of twin cats called Corkapat and Tantamile. Really? Corkapat? Corkapat and Tantamile, who are like, in the stage show, they're implied to be like witch cats. They always sense stuff a little bit earlier than everybody else. And during one of the songs of the Jellicles, they talk about, you know, riding on broomsticks, candles, bells, etc., etc. Ah, yes. So they're implied to be supernatural cats, but... They're not big dance roles, so instead, I guess, they decided that Plato and Socrates were going to be a thing instead. Huh. So is that always the role that the person playing McCavity usually does? Yes, usually. Like in Into the Woods, where the big bad wolf is usually the same actor that plays one of the princes. Or Peter Pan, where the father always plays Captain Hook. Yeah, and I suspect it's for the same practical reasons as well, which is to say that this actor needs something else to do for the other scenes that he's not in. It's kind of a waste to keep him in the wings, so they're going to put him on stage in a slightly different costume. I think the McCavity costume just basically gets layered on top of the Plato costume. Oh, sure. Kind of like how a lot of the layering stuff gets put on after the initial number. Yes. Of Delphal Cats. Okay. It sounds like there may be less of a, like, meta-narrative reason for that, though. Not really. Yeah. Fair enough. It's not like Plato is secretly there observing the proceedings. Plato's actually a pretty normal character. Fair enough. So that's the end of Act 1. My first note is, oh, shit, we're opening Act 2 with memory? <laughs> what? You don't want to save that for, like, the end? What? What? <laughs> well, I mean, there is the Grizabelle, the Glamour Cat, and Memory Prelude here in the stage show, as I recall. But it's different, isn't it? Like, it's not the prelude I remember. It is different. Yeah. It's a different run on Memory. Like, it's more of the lyrics from the main performance. She's singing it, and more of the other cats notice her. And that's also when we notice that Deuteronomy's kind of watching her for a long moment. Like, that's the one that he wants to pick. But the other cats haven't accepted her yet, so he can't do that. And then meanwhile, in the movie, it's just an excuse for Taylor Swift song time. Okay, so- Oh god, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's this f***ing- It's like someone thought to themselves, <laughs> what is the most useless song and the most pointless song you could ever write? And the answer was a response song to memory, and then they put it in this movie. My note for this is new song number two. Follow me home? I don't hate this. Oh no, it must be called Beautiful Ghost because that has the weight of a title TM. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so this is a song that is new. It is a song that is given to Victoria as our central point character. This is a song that was also written by Taylor Swift, which is why the lyrics and the sort of arrangement of the whole thing sounds so different and like it doesn't quite fit with the rest of this. It's very disjointed. Yeah. Kind of like... If you listen to the soundtrack to the stage show of Anastasia and you hear some of the songs that are clearly Wicked era musical numbers up against the ones from the original animated film, there's definitely a tonal dissonance there that you can feel. I mean, Once Upon a December is worth it, but yeah. Oh, Once Upon a December, you can carry a lot on the back of Once Upon a December, let's be real. Oh yeah, baby. Absolutely. Along with Journey to the Past. Yeah. Setting that aside, especially in the way that you know that Memory isn't a song based on a poem because the lyrics are completely different. Like, it's just a different style. It's a different writing style. It serves a different purpose. This one is like that, but worse. <laughs> if it sounds like Victoria learned this yesterday, it's because she did. She did. <laughs> this musical number, I believe, also came along pretty late into the shooting process, too. 
I want to pose kind of a question to you guys, because whenever I was listening to this, I was like, okay, I lied. I think I have issues with this because she's basically like, yeah, your life sucks, but at least you had a life. So be grateful for your trauma. Yeah. Basically, yes. Yeah, it's worst. It's just the worst. It's a bad message. It's really bad. It's like, hey, you think your life sucks? My life sucks. It's a song that its place in the show, in this story, its place is is meant to be a message of compassion, a song of compassion that says, I empathize with you. I understand your trauma. I am seeking to know you. I am seeking to bring you into the fold by understanding you. But the lyrics and the message of the song is one of, you can't complain about your life. At least good things happen to you. I haven't had anything I like. My life is worse than yours, so you should just be happy that your life isn't as bad as mine. (laughs) Which is also compounded by the fact that this is a very young cat singing to clearly a very old cat who has gone through some shit. you can just tell. Yeah. 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 This beautiful coast is also the point where it becomes blatantly clear that this movie only exists to farm Oscars. Yup. Mm-hmm. That's the reason they did so much CGI is because they wanted those best visual effects Oscars. And then the reason this song is here is because they wanted that best original song Oscar. Mm-hmm. Yep. They wanted a Celine Dion song. They did not get a Celine Dion song. They did not get a Celine Dion song. Just in terms of song quality, it's fine. I mean, it's not terrible. It's just... It's really wrong here. It's really, really wrong here. It gives the wrong message. Even the musicality of it does not fit with what's going on around it. It was the first time that when there was like spoken exposition afterwards, I wasn't taken out of the movie. (laughs) Because every other time when somebody speaks, I'm like, whoa, you're not supposed to talk. How f***ing dare you? Don't you talk. (laughs) But then after this, I was like, oh yeah, it's just, it was a T-Swift. So, yeah. I mean, honestly, it's hard to put this new song up against even any fragment of memory because it's like having a beautiful piano sonata and then next to it is like a clinky little toy piano going tick, 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 tick. Do you remember the beats from Doug banging on a trash can? Yeah. It's that. It's memory versus banging on a trash can. Yeah. From Doug's Big Band, an episode I referenced to myself way more often than I should. Oh, I'm glad that I'm not the only one that remembers that pretty fully. More spoken exposition. They confirm Victoria is not a jellical. That's a choice that they made, I guess. Whatever. Yeah, as I recall, they actually do include the moments of happiness, like the song, in this, because Old Deuteronomy is looking out the window and singing it. The thing about the moments of happiness is that if there's any song that you could probably effectively cut from a movie version of Cats, it's this one. The moments of happiness is the first song of Act 2. Its purpose is to waste time while the audience files back (laughs) into their seats. Yep. It's just Old Deuteronomy musing about how memory changes happiness in the moment, blah, 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 blah. It's boring. (laughs) It literally leads so little of an impression that I didn't write it in my notes watching the movie a few hours ago. Incredible. Of all the songs that they cut, they cut Peaks in the Polygles and they kept the moments of happiness. What the f*** are you doing? 
So now we have started the Jellicle Ball proper. And then they introduce Gus, and Gus normally makes me cry. Like, I will be straight up. Now the thing about Gus the Theater Cat is that the stage show, this is another song that is sung by other cats, except unlike, like, chorus numbers, this is a song sung by one cat about another cat who is too old to sing by himself most of the time. Yeah, in the stage show, you've got a cat named Jelly Lorem, who's one of the queens. And she's helping Gus around. He's sitting next to her while she sings about him. She's clearly taking care of him. And it's kind of weird, because the movie having this sort of, all these celebrities are going to sing about their own songs without anyone else on the stage. They have to share the stage with. It makes Gus sadder in the movie as a result, because he's isolated. He doesn't have anyone looking out after him. Whereas in the stage show, it's like, oh, this is an old cat, but also he's still a member of the group and he's got Jelly Lorem looking after him and he's not alone and he's got friends and family. Whereas, you know, Ian McKellen Gus is just, here's the sad old cat who doesn't have anybody. He's just standing out on that big stage completely alone. Yeah. Yeah. This is definitely the cat that is most likely the cat who should die. <laughs> the cat who should be allowed to die is this extremely <laughs> old cat. <laughs> It is very clear. The other thing, and the reason that this hits, and it hits harder now, right before my grandfather passed, he experienced a lot of dementia. And it's easy to see Gus as an allegory for someone with dementia or Alzheimer's or... Especially in the way that he's played in the stage. Exactly. That he's losing himself. So he has Jelly Lorem sing about him. And then he remembers himself. And then he sings the end of the song. And that's what usually makes me cry is when he stands up and start singing but yeah i completely agree with you kit like in the movie it's just hi i'm an isolated old cat and i should lay down and die but i guess i'm here <laughs> the attempt to sort of recreate that idea of him having people in his life slightly before this number because we have this thing where mistopheles basically asks for his autograph and is like you're gonna do great good job but it doesn't really... It's so awkward. Yeah, it just feels like he's sort of a random fan rather than someone who is an assistant, a loved one, a peer. It's fine. His musical number goes off so well that Dame Judi Dench in her large cat basket does a little scissor kick of approval. <laughs> oh, I don't like it. With her little human hands peering over the edge of this basket. It's so, it's so terrifying. <laughs> I don't like it. She's horny for this old actor. <laughs> I hate it so much. Also, this is where Growl Tiger's last stand usually goes. But Growl Tiger isn't a fictional character in this movie. He's an actual separate cat. And I can't get over how weird that is, even in the context of cats. Let's also mention the fact that in the stage show version, they did a lot of after effects and little animated add-ons to, to really just sell <laughs> the absolute magic of this. So at some point during this whole thing, there's a ghost cat on stage? There is a ghost cat. We don't talk about the ghost cat. <laughs> the ghost cat! I have to talk about the ghost cat. The ghost cat has flashing red eyes. Like, there are literal LEDs on this little visor of his, and he looks like a Joel Schumacher Batman character. Isn't that also the one where it's obviously hair on a piston? Yeah. That like shoots straight up? Uh-huh. No, that's the rumpus cat. That's the rumpus cat. From the awful battle of the peaks and the pollicles. Yeah. Of course. There's a fucking Sentai cat. There is a Sentai cat. <laughs> that got cut from this movie and you should all be furious about it. <laughs> Anyway, that's around, and it's really weird. Immediately after this number, though, back in Cats 2019, this is the part, I think, where McCavity shows up backstage, asks for Gus's autograph, and then 
closes his book and yeets them both away while going, McCavity! 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 Why is so stupid? There's a bit where Ian McKellen leans over and licks water out of a dish. Ah, yes. That does happen. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. I don't like it. When I watched this in the theater with like three other coworkers, two of whom had not seen anything related to cats uh, before, I was sitting next to my friend Zach in the theater and we get to that point and I just hear Zach next to me go, oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Out loud. There were so many points when we were watching this in the theater where it was like, I think the seating arrangement was like, Rio, me, Key, Mackenzie. And between the two of us who had had some kind of exposure to cats before, Mackenzie and I were just cackling while Key and Rio were progressively more like, what? Oh no, what? No, what? What? Huh? There's this one point. And it might have been this point. I can't honestly remember what it was where Key grabs my hand and goes, Mackenzie, what's happening? Mackenzie, what's happening? Mackenzie, what's happening? Was that when stupid sexy Shimbleshank shows up? No, she loved Skimble. Like, like, Everyone loves Skimble. It's easily the best part of this movie. But my question is, Skimble's so good. I love Skimble Shakes. Don't get me wrong. This was a good part. I have lots of good notes about this. Why does Skimble Shank give off more energy than Rum Tum Tugger, the cat who <laughs> does, is sad? He does give off way more energy. Because he's a dancer and he's working on a click track and he's good at his job. Yeah. Yeah. I love the tap. I love that he taps on the thing and it sounds like a train and it's yeah. so good. Exactly. They turned it Skimbleshank's song into like a tap dance song and it's incredible. First off, I just want to note there's two things that I love about this. One is that the design of this cat and the stage show version is this is the cat in the little waistcoat. Whereas the movie version says this is not a cat who has a little waistcoat. Instead, he's a cat who only wears pants. So this is Skimbleshank's. The cat who wears pants. Yeah, with suspenders. This is Skimble Shakes, the cat with a job. <laughs> this was Tom Hooper who was like, hey. And all the CG artists were like, if you make us f***ing CG tap dancers, I will f***ing kill you, dude. And Tom Hooper was like, okay, sorry. <laughs> no, I refuse to accept that Tom Hooper has apologized for any of his artistic choices at any time. He has that much of an ego. Here's what I think happened. I think he looked at the 1998 Skimble Shanks in his little waistcoat and went, hmm. What if we covered everything that was hidden? <laughs> it just flipped. So his chest is now exposed and his legs are covered. And oh, he has such a mustache. Oh, his mustache is so good. So what you're saying is Tom Hooper did that and the CG artist went, thank God. Thank God. <laughs> uh... First off, it does that weird thing where the song just sort of stops in the middle of it and loses all the momentum it builds up. But this is the only time this works okay. Yeah, because he can do a tap dance Acting like a train kicking up into gear. The tap is actually really, really great. And it's one of the few times like when you're seeing tap in film that you actually still get that same energy of tap. Because the dude's doing like one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two. He's killing it. He's killing it. And they cover him up with percussion. And also this is a rare moment where like the cinematography actually works in the favor. Because they'll actually show him dancing a lot of the time. And also show like the backup dancers dancing. And they transition the world to something more exciting. They still don't know what size cats are, but they transition the world 
in a way that's actually interesting and reflective of the song in a way that's actually really good that I wish they'd done the rest of the movie. Yeah, like he starts doing the tap number and once he builds up momentum, he starts tapping off of a plank he's on and like the stage melts away and we are replaced with like this long train track. Now, the cats are much smaller than they normally would be on train tracks. How big are cats? What size are cats? How big are cats? What size are cats? I don't (laughs) know. But this works as much as anything else in the show actually works and it's a breath of fresh air. So I have a theory. Okay. This was done first. Mm-hmm. For some reason, Gimbal Shanks, they picked him to go first. They did this, and this is what they pitched. We can give you more of this, and then they didn't. <laughs> this is a professional dancer. He has an actual schedule. He has an actual career. Mm-hmm. I have exactly one thing to say about this number, aside from the fact that it rules. And that is my friend Kyle went to go see this movie with a friend of his who does not understand musical theater in general. Uh, and when we got to Skimble Shanks, the railway cat, Kyle's friends said just very, very sternly and without emotion, this cat should be their champion. <laughs> yes. Yes. I don't think he understood the show, but also I agree with him 100%. I do agree with him. Skimble Shanks is great. My favorite thing about Skimble Shanks just as a character is that this is a cat who sings a whole song about how he has a job. <laughs> He's the cat who's employed. This is the cat who works a nine to five. This is the cat who fills out W-2s. This is a cat who has a job. He took a break from work. He used some PTO to be here for the Jellicle Ball. He's got to go. He's got a meeting. He's got a teleconference with Station Master Tama in a couple of hours. (laughs) He's got work. And he is here auditioning to die. (laughs) What does Skimble Shanks want to die for? He's doing great. His song's awesome. Out of all of them, I never understand why Skimble Shanks wants to die. It's just like, (laughs) what I hope happens is that he sings his little song and then old Deuteronomy just goes, nah, dude. Nah, you got a lot to live for. That's fair. I was just here to show off anyway. (laughs) He's like that one really successful member of the family who shows up for the family reunion Mm -hmm. just to like make a splash. (laughs) (laughs) What up? His whole song is about how great his job is, how much everyone likes him, how much all the humans want to have him around, how much of a busybody he is. He's a working cat. He's got a job. As I recall, it actually has the same distribution in the stage show of other people singing about Skimble versus Skimble singing about Skimble. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. basically. Everyone is just jazzed to hang out with Skimble Shanks. And like, also, not to diss on the stage show here, the building, the train is awesome. It's just that the tap dancer guy is so good in a movie that's so shit that he's awesome. This musical number is really freaking solid, no matter what version you're watching. It is great. It's fun. I also really like that in the stage show recording, this is where they have cut a couple of songs. So like you finish a song and it fade cuts to Deuteronomy suddenly being like, Skimble Shanks the Railway Cat. It's like, oh, all right. Well, setting that aside, whatever. Gus, uh, I guess, whatever. Anyway, now it's time for a jazzy cat. (laughs) And then the song ends with him being teleported into the ceiling. Oh my god! Okay, okay. okay so Skimble Shanks does. He finishes his number, and then he does this huge spin in the air, and then he just disintegrates. <laughs> he just disintegrates like Thanos snapped him. He just keeps going. The cavity's not even there. He just disintegrates. It's another Unity physics error where you lightly bump something and it rockets into the atmosphere. <laughs> the cavity has very ill-defined powers. So this is 
Key's favorite part because she will scream anytime it happens. This is where she had a break, I believe. She had a freaking breakdown and just died. I think we all did, but I think Key yeah. was the worst. Okay. Yeah. One other thing. Can we all agree that T-Swift singing about McCavity and essentially forcing everyone to do drugs is a bad look? Okay. 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 I have a lot of opinions about this fucking number. I hate it. <laughs> I have a lot of secondary opinions that I need to share about this. As the neutral party, this is the McCavity song. This is where we finally sing about McCavity. Now, in the stage show, this happens like, basically, McCavity shows up, kidnaps Deuteronomy, and then just sort of leaves, and a bunch of the cats, I guess, leave to go try to track down McCavity or something, leaving a whole bunch of girl cats around to be like, so McCavity's kind of hot, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's such a good number. It's such a good number. Yeah. In the stage show, McCavity the Mystery Cat is a duet between Demeter and Bomb Ballerina. And it's interesting the interplay between these two characters because, like I said before, Demeter has some stuff going on psychologically that is never really made quite clear, but it's maybe suggested she has some kind of history with McCavity. And this comes across in the song a lot. The actual, like, direction that the choreographer gave the dancer for Demeter was the man was wonderful and he made love to me but I hated him uh <laughs> so it opens with Demeter talking about this guy I find him compelling I'm drawn to him but also I'm terrified of him and he is a terrible person and then bomb ballerina comes in and her take on the character is I don't really take this guy seriously but he's kind of hot right and it's an interesting interplay between these two characters as they sing about this guy because they're kind of cat fighting over it but also like it's interesting. Unfortunately, Taylor Swift was playing Bomb Ballerina and Tay-Tay don't share the stage, so this is no longer a duet. As most things, these things are no longer duets or group numbers at all. And she sprinkles catnip over everybody, which... This is where, like, the grand scheme occurs, I guess? I guess, but it it's troubling. And I get I get their cats and I get it's catnip and like I, And now they're all drugged up and horny. They're all drugged up and horny and kind of roofied, and I'm just I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. So for Key's birthday, she made Dan watch the twenty nineteen cats movie. I wasn't hearing anything from them when suddenly Dan just messages me in the chat that I share with Key and him. And he just says, I'm very sexually confused right now. <laughs> and Key reply, and Key goes, Dan's getting very confused feelings over Taylor Swift the cat. <laughs> and Dan goes, I feel like I'm supposed to be aroused, but I don't know why. <laughs> and that was all I heard about this. My note here is, okay, if this is what people were talking about it being too horny, did they watch the stage show? Probably not. Definitely not. No, <laughs> probably not. I also am deeply resentful of the fact that Bomb Ballerina, the cat who made me gay, is played by Taylor Swift, who as far as like, <laughs> as far as like being a subject of queer attraction is a dial tone. Yeah. She might as well value over empty chair with regards to like sexual chemistry is negative numbers. An empty room has more sexual chemistry than Taylor Swift does with anyone. <laughs> Also, like, frankly, there's just a loss here in that, like, McCavity's a really freaking good song. Like, it's it a is. very well-arranged number. Like, it is made and broken on those triplets, and they're so freaking good. Yeah. Like, ba -da -da. there's this point in the stage show where, like, all of the choreography specifically calls attentions to cavity. And, like, I'm not doing it well here, but please trust me, the whole song is built around those triplets, and they're so Freaking well performed. It is mind blowing how good it is. And this one. 
So here's the other thing. I heard, I heard this rumor. All right. That all of these people in this movie had to go to cat school. I've heard that, yes. Did they not watch the 98 show? Unclear. Because I could see Tom Hooper being like, no, none of you get to watch the stage show. We're not watching any pre-existing cat things. I don't want it to taint your performances. You're right. McCavity is such a powerful song and it is performed so powerfully. But Taylor Swift just sings it like a song. She's at the same level the whole time. Right. I think the performance of McCavity is also very tied to the dance. And she's swinging around on a moon for half the time and just looks confusing. It just doesn't work, especially because they change this from the climax of the number being like the large ensemble dancing and the large chorus. They change it from that being the whole point of the song, like the whole build of the song, to being revealing Idris Elba McCavity without his coat, without his hat at the end of this so he can sing a cool song about himself. And then everyone is taken out of it because you're suddenly confronted with, A, the fact that the song introduced McCavity as being a ginger cat and this is a brown cat. Yep. (laughs) B, he is now without any of his clothes. You realize just how sculpted and extremely naked he is. And C, you're not sexually attracted to Idris Elba. And normally, you probably would be. You probably are. So in all caps, oh no, why did you have to give us a full body shot of Idris Elba? He looks like a naked Ken doll. His contacts make me uncomfortable. He's the most naked cat. All the cats are naked, but somehow he's the most naked cat. Most naked cat. He's the most naked. And he, oh, he's McCavity, the naked cat. He doesn't have genitalia. And that that and should like, not be as big a problem as it is. No one has genitalia. You're usually fine with this. But McCavity extra doesn't have anything. <laughs> it's super extra doesn't have it. <sighs> oh, man. Okay. 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 So naturally, we still have to disappear old Deuteronomy here at some point, but we move it to the end of this song in Cats 2019, where McCavity reveals his diabolical plan to get all the cats drugged up and to steal every other cat who might have auditioned to die so that he can die. Why does McCavity want to die? McCavity can do magic powers and he's committed every human crime. Yep. McCavity has committed tax fraud. Yes. Uh, And he cheats at cards. In the stage show, there's like McCavity's plan is even more nebulous, but there's a bit after they sing McCavity the Mystery Cat, McCavity's like, oh, guys, that was such a nice song. Here, have old Deuteronomy back. But it's just McCavity in disguise, and Demet is the first one to figure it out, which is interesting. But in this one, it's, no, you're going to decide I get to go to the heavy side layer, and if you don't, I'm going to teleport you to my boat in the Thames and throw you into the river. Okay, trying to apply logic to this movie. <laughs> is a fool's errand. McCavity is saying, you will choose me for the heavy side lair, or else I'm going to drown you. Deuteronomy is the only one who can choose. Exactly. Deuteronomy is the only one who can choose. So by killing Deuteronomy, you remove the choice entirely? And let's not forget that old Deuteronomy is, if not a mortal, an extremely long-lived cat. Who has possibly been reborn several times already. I do love that we do get kind of a nice Dame Judy Dench moment of never that is one of the few spoken lines i was just like okay i'm here for that but why does mccavity want to die i don't know i mean i know he's got a rap sheet but like he also has magic powers (sighs) nebulous magic powers that could do just about anything they are so ill-defined but now mr mistopheles has to undo what mccavity did and i guess 
It's the reason for his song? So let me explain how this goes in the stage show first so you can understand how f***ing disappointing the movie version is. Let's do it. In the stage show, you have fake Deuteronomy being returned to the group. Demeter figures out that this is a fake Deuteronomy. She rips off McCavity's disguise. McCavity and Monkus Trap then get into a huge cat fight. It's actually kind of cool. It's like dance fighting. McCavity is run off and he manages to like blow most of the lights while he's doing it. So the stage is in utter darkness. The cats are fumbling around in the darkness. Metaphorically, they have no guidance. And then there's a spotlight comes on. Uh, and it's on Rum Tum Tugger. The cat who fucks. The cat who fucks. And he's like, hey, I know the perfect guy to fix this problem for us. And then he starts singing about Mistopheles. And the thing about Mistopheles is that he does not sing throughout this entire song. Mistopheles' whole deal in this song is, hey, you know that cat who all he does is fuck all the time? That guy's my hype man. He's gonna <laughs> sing about me while I dance around and shoot lightning out of my hands. And again, they did a lot of after effects on this they animated some lightning for him to shoot and he's doing one of the most difficult dance numbers in the he's doing spectacular feats of human strength as he's doing this dance number huge spins like jumping scissor kicks he touches his toes in midair and he does it several times in a row i have a note i also take personal offense <laughs> that the rum tum tugger didn't sing the beginning of this song i know no, they're boyfriends. Don't you dare take that away from me. I'm just saying, this extremely horny cat is like, you know who's great? You know who's great? My boyfriend. My boyfriend is the best. My boyfriend. Let me tell you about my boyfriend. Let me tell you why my boyfriend is the best. This extremely horny cat has just kind of a weird little magic boyfriend who doesn't talk a lot. That's a great dynamic. And I do also love that the only time really Mistopheles talks about is the Rum Tum Tugger is the Rum Tum Tugger is a terrible boar. Like, I just, I love their <laughs> dynamic. It's so cute. They're an established couple. <laughs> they gripe about each other. Yeah. It's, it's the same energy as you're at dinner with a couple of old queens until one of them's like, all right, I got to get this one off to bed. Yep, exactly. In the movie, however, what we have is Mr. Mistopheles has had this whole little character arc, quote-unquote, this whole time of how he is just a shy baby who needs to earn his confidence and be heterosexual with Victoria. Ugh. And so the whole structure of Magical Mr. Mistopheles, this song, is that it grows, it builds. Every single verse that is repeated grows in intensity from one person singing to the entire ensemble singing to huge dance numbers to huge movement to everybody in the entire audience building up to hype one cat. And then Tupper comes in and he says, okay, but what if we just stopped? <laughs> And started the song from the first part again. Like four times. Instead of Magical Mr. Mistopheles being a repetition where everything grows and grows every single time, you start the energy off at zero again and again. Again and again and again and again and again! Also, another minor quibble, and I know these poor 3D artists... <laughs> had so much shit to worry about his hat when he takes it off and on and off and on his ears just like melt through the hat they slide through it gives me major elsa from frozen when she pulls her braid through her shoulder oh yeah and it does the clip through the shoulder to preserve the motion yep which you know it it, it, uh, like I said, they have a lot of things to worry about, but especially because the song is not 
building and you're so focused on him, it becomes so readily apparent that also he has the personality of Milk Toast <laughs> in the 2019 version, and it's sad. Hello, I'm Mr. Mistopheles. I can do a magic card trick. Maybe sometimes I make... D did you guys like the little mice children? Do you want to see them again? I could maybe do that. No! I hate the mice children <laughs> the absolute most! Oh, okay, sorry. Sorry, I didn't mean to make you think about the mice children again. I'll just sort of wave my wand at the little, at the little, at the little, little bed where she did the scissor kick of approval, and and oh, I'm sorry. And it's like that for like seven minutes. Yep. Uh... Because what happens is, instead of every verse building up to something, to the final spectacular event of bringing back old Deuteronomy through actual magic, he just sort of waves his wand. And then it doesn't work. And then another verse happens, and then he waves his wand, and it doesn't work. And it does that a lot. To the point where what blows my mind is that eventually, and also Victoria sometimes encourages him with a repetition. Get away from Victoria, you are making your boyfriend sad. Yeah, your boyfriend is not even in this movie anymore. <laughs> yeah, really, the rum tugger is gone. He's gone, we never see him again. rum tugger is the cat who's not here. <laughs> what we do instead is like... We do a fake out where he does his little wand wave for like the 12th time at the little bed. And out of all of the things that you could have spent any amount of budget on, you don't actually do any kind of cool magic effect. It just looks like James Duty Gench walked back on stage while everyone's backs were turned. It was like, oh, it's me. Hello. 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 <laughs> By the way, we're intercutting between this bullshit and the bullshit. Of McCavity trying to throw Deuteronomy overboard while the rest of the annoying celebrity cats are chained up and then decide to like escape from their chains. And oh god, is this where we yes put the pin in for yes for Jenny Any Dots pulling off her skin? My note is no. Why is taking off her skin a fucking plot point? Chekhov skin suit. <laughs> why is there a Chekhov skin suit? This is the weird thing, is that this is Tom Hooper fundamentally not understanding the musical theater conceit of sometimes things happen and they're sort of in a quasi-space of reality versus fiction and it's musical theater, so you just kind of accept that happening in the same way that you accept people just singing songs about each other and knowing all the words and not going to rehearsals. Jenny Any Dots unzips her skin again. Which somehow allows her to get out of the chain. And that somehow makes her slightly smaller, I guess, so now she can get out of the chains, despite being the exact same size, but maybe with like, what, a centimeter more of skin less? You can't have this as saying some cats have abilities and Jenny Any Dot's magical ability is that she can perpetually unzip her skin. That's not how this works. That's not how costume changes work. That's not how musical theater works. Oh, you are trying to say no. that this is just an ability she has. This is Jenny Any Dots, the gumpy cat who lies around all day and can unzip her skin whenever she I wants. Just, I hate it. I hate it so much. <laughs> Does it have a cool down? Does it have an eight hour cool down? I just hate it so much. I hate it. This is not how this works. But then they have an action scene. I was about to say, I also have a note. When old Deuteronomy starts up the Mr. Mistopheles again, I said, did they really say f*** all those cats? <laughs> 
Because it, it, it looks like the movie's just going to walk right by the fact that all the rest of those cats are gone. All of the cats played by celebrities, they're just not here anymore. Which is a shame because that also means that the cats who are real dancers, like Skimble Shanks, are also gone too. Yeah. I guess they just get off the boat at some point. And then you have an unnecessary action. Why is there action in cats? Aside from the fight between McCavity and Monkastrap. Like, that was rad. Which they don't have. Which they don't have. They put in this, ugh, ugh, ugh. A comedy bit fight. It really reduces Monkus Trap as a character because a big vibe that he's got in the stage show is this guy's not just the MC. He's also the protector of the group. He's the dad? He's the watchdog. He's got this watchdog energy where he's constantly, it's the kittens especially. He's constantly looking out for the kittens. But now that he's not the one fighting McCavity off, he's just kind of there. He's just here. And so we have this big climactic action sequence, which is really rough because the actual emotional climax of this movie still hasn't happened yet. Yeah. But this little plot is getting resolved, I guess, and all of the other cats just kind of leave, and maybe they're back for the... I, I think at least Skimbleshanks is back for the final number. It's hard to tell. Ugh. Because at that point, your attention is turned on Jame Duty Gench, because her attention is turned on to you. Ah. Oh, we'll get there. <laughs> we will get there. Mr. Mistopheles does it in, like, the least climactic way possible, but now Dame Judy Dench is back, Old Deuteronomy is back, and now we can actually make a Jellicle choice, minus all of the cats that were here for the Jellicle choice. Did they add a new verse to memory? No. No, but they did add in some lines for Old Deuteronomy from Beautiful Ghosts. Maybe that's what I was thinking. They had Old Deuteronomy sing part of Beautiful Ghosts after memory. Memory slaps, as it always does, except two things. One, Jennifer Hudson is really ugly crying throughout this entire song. Uh huh. It's, it's like Tom Hooper looked at her and said, no, you need more snot. More snot. Lots more <laughs> snot. More fluid in your face. Your face needs to be dripping with various fluids throughout this entire number. Oh, it's hard to sing like that? I don't care. When has Tom Hooper ever cared if something is hard to sing in a particular way? And two, traditionally during memory, I mentioned that Jemima slash Syllabub is the first one to sing with Grizabella. There is a bit during the song where Grizabella is overcome with emotion and she stops singing. And then Syllabub, the youngest kitten, comes along and picks up the song with her. And then they sing together for a bit until Grizabella has like the strength to continue. Which makes me cry every time. It's a good bit. Which makes me cry every time. Here they give that bit to Victoria, but unfortunately the actress they've got playing Victoria is not an actress or a singer. She is a ballerina. She is a novice singer at best, which means that putting her opposite Jennifer Hudson is just cruel. It's just cruel. It's cruel. Don't do that. This is like the Mamma Mia movie where they have Pierce Brosnan sing versus Meryl Streep. What the <laughs> f*** are you doing? <laughs> There's also this bit Sideways points out a lot in this Cats video because, like, he really highlights the arc between Jemima slash Syllabub and Grizabella here as sort of the emotional backbone of the whole piece. Thing is, what she is literally asking here for is to be touched, is to be accepted, is to be welcomed back into this group, is to be a Jellicle Cat again. And after this whole song is sung and everybody agrees that Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote a really good song, the cats actually do touch her and it's a big moment. However, every time in the Cats 2019 version, Victoria tries to reach out and touch Grizabella, she recoils. Yeah, she moves away. Except for this part, when she is physically led into this scene to have her song physically touched it just happened and now she sings a song about how she wants to be touched but she she just was it just 
Ugh. Ugh. It's sloppy. It's just sloppy. It's just so sloppy. But even so, even with all of that mess, this song still slaps. And this performance is really great. It does. Yeah, memory still slaps. Even with Jennifer Hudson crying throughout it, she's still like, Grizabella calls for an actress with killer pipes. And Jennifer Hudson's got that. <laughs> My note is, oh, take me to church. But like... <laughs> My other problem with this is right after memory, this big moment in the stage show, all the cats like touch Grizabella. You have kind of a happy trumpet version of the Jellicle theme. It's this really triumphant and celebratory thing. You know, welcome home. We love you. In Cats 2019, Dame Judy Dench just turns to her and goes, you're the Jellicle choice. She's just like, hey, you're going to die now. You're gonna die now. And then the process of leading her to what turns out to be a hot air balloon. It's less triumphant and more cult execution. It's weird. <laughs> it's really weird. Congratulations. Your song was sad enough. It is time for you to die. The vibe's off. Now, okay, so stage show version. The ascension to the heaviside layer. <laughs> it's stupid no matter what. <laughs> no matter what, it is stupid. It's stupid no matter what. I do actually like the movie version a bit. Here's my thing with the movie version. During McCavity, it shows like McCavity and Bumblerina, I can never pronounce her name correctly. It shows them on a set of stairs that leads to a thing that has heavy side layer in lights. Like it's all lit up. It's all pretty. Like McCavity made that himself, I guess. And I was like, oh, that's the heavy side layer. They're going to kind of mimic what they did in the show where they walk up a set of stairs and they go. No, yeah, they put her in a hot air balloon and send her to space. A hot air balloon made out of a chandelier because Andrew Lloyd Webber has his fingerprints on everything. Uh. And McCavity tries to hitch a ride. Uh. So in the stage show, they stand on a tire that starts ascending, and then a bunch of stairs come down, and she walks up into the catwalk. Ay. 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 And that's the end. Sometimes there's a UFO, I guess? Yes, there's sometimes a UFO. Amazing. Like a flying saucer. Like aliens. That's awesome. Like aliens come down to take her to heaven. I do kind of like the hot air balloon angle, except for the fact that throughout the rest of the movie, we keep cutting back to that hot air balloon <laughs> to confirm that she's still up there. <laughs> but Cavity tries and he's like, oh, yay, I, I'm awesome. I'm going to get to the heavy side. Oops, I fell. <laughs> <laughs> And then he doesn't have magic powers anymore? He has a little meow when he's stuck. <laughs> meow! <laughs> so stupid. McCavity! I tried. I, why doesn't his magic work? Is it because the Jellicle Moon's not out? Like, what's going on? We don't know for sure. We never get an answer. Any new question raised by Cats 2019 is never answered. And then, oh, and then... Okay, so we've done the emotional climax. We've done the action climax. Now it's time for the last number to bring the ensemble all together. Yeah, and honestly, like, I've always thought that the addressing of cats doesn't need to be there. The musical is over after the journey to the heaviside layer. That's sufficient to bring the ensemble cast together in the stage show. And as far as I'm concerned, in the movie as well, the addressing of cats does not need to be in here. And I've always thought that it could be cut. Not only does the movie keep it in, it also does a thing. So... This is a song that is mostly just here for this incredible baritone playing Old Deuteronomy to just show off. It's ridiculous how talented this guy is. Ken Page. But Dame Judi Dench is not a singer. Dame Judi Dench instead 
she did a spoken word version of this very long poem song. And she did it to you. <laughs> She's... Okay, my notes. Game Duty Dench is breaking the fourth wall. This kind of puts everything in question. Why was Victoria the POV perspective needed if you're now going to acknowledge the audience? Also, no one else is looking at the audience, so do they just think she's crazy? Oh god, she's doing it again. This is so long. When will it end? Stop, my soul can only take so much, and her licking her lips is so unsettling. The best part is, like, all the other characters in that same shot who just have to figure out what they're gonna do for the next two minutes. <laughs> These verses are so long because she is just sort of quietly walking her way. She is strolling through these verses, just having a nice walk while she makes direct eye contact with the camera, acknowledging the audience exists for the first time in the past two and a half hours. This is an audience who is now broken. <laughs> they don't know what's happening. And now they have been directly acknowledged and be like, yeah, you watched this, didn't you? Right after the her licking her lips is so unsettling, my next two notes are, please be over. Please. No. <laughs> no, it will never be over. This song will keep happening. <laughs> and there also has to be mandatory heteronormativity. So fuck you, Alan. <laughs> Every time Dame Judy Dench does this verse, she does it at the same energy. And then it's weird because in the stage show, these verses build to some kind of grandiose statement that all the cats then echo in a very loud chorus. Instead, it's just Dame Judy Dench. And cat is not a dog. And then the audience, and there's like, ah, no! ah, 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 ah. like it jumps from like three to twelve, and, and then back down to three, while the audience is like, THX had her hair blown back, and is just like, what is happening? <laughs> And of course, this is all compounded by the fact that, like, you were just startled by an incredibly loud chorus. Yes, the audio mixing is so bad. And you're back to Dame Judy Dent quietly looking you in the eye. The audio mixing is so bad during that part. <laughs> Occasionally, we'll pull back to come back to the balloon, which is still up there, by the way. My very last note is, bye, girl, have fun dying. Because <laughs> that's what it is. It's just like, bye. And all of these characters in the background of these James Judy Dunn shots, they just keep like looking at each other and then looking at her and then reacting to the things she's saying. So when she's talking about like, oh, a fish or a saucer of milk, give a cat that. And they're like, oh, a saucer of milk. Oh, no, no, no. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Oh, 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 oh it's <laughs> Oh. And then it ends of all things with Dame Judy Jench turning to Victoria and saying, you truly are a jellical cat, a dear little cat. Like explaining where the word jellical came from, which the fact that that was never explained was kind of one of the funniest parts of the show. <laughs> like now finally you, the audience, have been asking what's a jellical cat and now finally someone is explaining it to you and you kind of have to shrug because it's not a very good explanation, but it is an actual explanation. Yeah, the explanation is that T.S. Eliot was writing these for like his goddaughter and children can't pronounce shit. So every time she tried to say dear little cat, it came out jellical cat. And then it's over. And then we just watch an air balloon just kind of disappear into the clouds, which I think are also cat shaped. Bye, girl. Have fun dying. <laughs> girl, bye. <laughs> She's still up there. She's just. She's still there. She doesn't get to leave. She just gets to slowly wander away. <laughs> like, do you think she's looking down at that musical number being like, what the hell are they what doing? Are they doing? Do I really want to be a part of that again? Did she notice McCavity tried to get there? Like, what? What? 
Why? Why cats? I don't. Why cats? How big are How cats? How big are they? How big are cats? How big are cats that a cat can fit in a chandelier that turns into a hot air balloon? But a ring will go around their, like, 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 a ring will go around their neck. How big are cats? I don't know how big cats are. Oh, God. I'm sure everyone had the experience of, maybe not in Alan's case, in this case, it would have been just turning the DVD off. But in everyone else's case, it was like walking out of the theater after this happened to them for two hours and just disassociating and not being sure what's real. <laughs> Do you know what happened to me? I held in most of my manic glee for the whole movie, only occasionally like bursting into fits of giggles because, you know, I have social anxiety. I'm worried about making other people not have a good time. I held it all in. I was responsible until the credits started rolling and then I lost it. I started laughing cackling for the entire run of the credits. I sat there for a good 10 minutes, breathless, shrieking. I do not apologize to anyone. I did a good job holding most of that in, and then I let it all out. My dissociation session was this. I watched it. There was about an hour in between where I did kind of have to question my life a little bit and go, Annie, please, are we still talking about this? Please, God, let me, I need to talk about this. Cats is so much, y'all. It's so much. Cats is so much. And somehow it is not enough. Cats 2019 is not enough. I hadn't thought about it that way, but that's so right. It really isn't. <laughs> It tried to make cats make sense, and in so doing, made cats make less sense. Yes. You cannot make cats make sense. Oh, it's over. I'm still mad that the rumpus cat wasn't in this movie. They cut a sentai cat from this movie, and all of you should be angry about that. Could I have handled a sentai cat? I believe in you. I don't know if I have the fortitude. <laughs> Do any of us? No. No, probably not. So that's cats, everybody. <laughs> so cats, though. Oh, wow. I just... I'm drained. <laughs> I'm going to watch the stage show after this to cleanse my palate. You do that. That sounds good. Do you guys want me to list off the names of all the cats? <sighs> okay. 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 Do it before I change my mind. <laughs> Hang on. Let me pull up the list here because the IMDb page. Has... Oh, you don't have all of them memorized? The IMDb has some of them listed as just singing cat as opposed to the actual name of the character. There are also subcategories for characters that are fictional in-universe or not cats. (laughs) 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 All right. And now for the naming of cats. So we have, in alphabetical order, Alonzo, Asparagus, Bomb Ballerina, Buster for Jones, Cassandra, Coricapat, Demeter, Electra, etc. That's actually her name. Exotica, Grizabella, Gus, Jelly Lorem, Jemima, Jenny Any Dots. Wait, Gus and Asparagus are the same cats. No, that's two different cats. What? <laughs> Jelly Lorem, Jemima, Jenny Any Dots, McCavity, Mr. Mistopheles slash Quaxo, <sighs> Mungo Jerry, Monkus Trap, Old Deuteronomy, Plato, Pounceable, Rumple Teaser, Rum Tum Tugger, Rumpus Cat, Skimble Shanks, Tantamile, Tumble Brutus, and Victoria. I still hold the Bustover Jones the most realistic cat name. Yes. And that's counting a cat named Gus. (laughs) Bustover Jones is the most realistic cat name. That's so many cats. That's so many cats. So many. And at the end of the stage show DVD, they list them all. 
including Exotica, who was exclusive to the 1998 video because she played Tantamile in one of the other productions, but they already had a Tantamile for this production, but Andrew Lloyd Webber really liked her, so she was put in as a new cat named Exotica. So who determined the names of all the cats? I mean, there's the ones from the poems, right? But who named all of the miscellaneous cats? I think the miscellaneous cats are also just names of cats from the book. Huh, okay. How did he come up with those names? T.S. Eliot is a shithead who can come up with a lot of stuff because he's actually a very good poet. <laughs> yeah, T.S. Eliot is, unfortunately, one of the greatest poets of the 20th century. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> the Hollow Man is so good. The Wasteland is so good. But he's a pretentious f***wop. <laughs> hmm. And it's a shame that he's so good. Well, folks, I think we thoroughly convinced you that cats... Yeah, I don't think we had a fact for cats. It was just cats. Cats, though. Cats, though. Cats, though. So I think it's time for our final facts. Alan, you are our guest. Would you like to go first? My final fact is that Rum Tum Tugger and Mr. Mistopheles are boyfriends, and anyone who says otherwise is lying. Kit, <laughs> <laughs> what's your final fact? John Partridge is the superior tugger. <laughs> Mac, what's your final fact? We are the hollow men. We are the stuffed men bleeding <laughs> together. Oh Headpiece filled with straw. Alas, our dried voices when we whisper together are quiet and meaningless as wind and dry gas. Our rats feet over broken glass in our dry cellar. How come he's so good and the rest of the ivory tower sucks? <laughs> <laughs> I hate him too. You hate him, if anything, more for not sucking. Yeah, if he just was shot like both James Joyce and Ezra Pound was, it would be fine. Annie, what's your final fact? Tom Hooper is a menace to society and should never touch musical theater again as long as he lives. Here, <laughs> here. He doesn't understand what musical theater does. He just wants those Oscars. I hate him. He wants those Oscars and he knows making a musical is a good shortcut to getting an Oscar. Five different audio tracks. The orchestra was so talented for this and for Les Miserables to build around these actors doing whatever the hell they were doing most of the time. Like, I didn't know that. The, and that is mind-boggling to me. Absolutely mind-boggling. Click tracks are good. Use a click track. The conductor knows what he's doing. Follow the conductor. You are working with the audience. You are working with the orchestra to make this music happen. The orchestra does not follow you. The orchestra and their conductor had to be, like, psychically linked in order to get this correct. Like, big props. I wanna, I'm going to look up who they are because I want to shout them out. There are parts where it sort of peters around trying to follow these actors and whatever cadence they're doing. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't work, but the fact that it even functions remotely is due to an incredible amount of talent from the orchestra and the conductor. Recordings were created partly at Abbey Road Studios with contributions from the London Symphony Orchestra. Just incredible. Just astounding. Wow. <laughs> Folks, I think that does it. I think that's all the cats that we can do. This is a very long recording. This is probably going to be a bonus-sized episode because there's so much about cats. It's cats so is so much. Yes. I'm weary now. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I have loosened something that has been latched onto my soul for some time. All right. So we don't have a next episode queued right yet. We have a couple of ideas, but we're recording this super in advance because this is one of our hiatus episodes. So we'll see you next time and we'll all be surprised with whatever the fact is for that one. And we'll actually have a fact as opposed to cats. <laughs> next time you hear me, it will be from the UK. <laughs> Ooh, thank you so much. 
Ellen, it was such a joy to have you yes. on. Thank you for Thank coming you, Ellen. And, and talking about cats with us. Thank you so much. I love you guys so much. I just, I love getting to hang out with you. It makes me happy. I love you love too, you buddy. Too. Anytime you want to come on and talk more about musical theater or anything. Yes. If y'all do a Phantom episode, girl. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> man. We should like actually uh-huh. get together and talk more Sondheim sometime. <laughs> I'm sure anyone who's listened to us has probably knows where to find you, but absolutely. What do you want to plug? Tell us where we can find you on the internet. Sure. I am at Alan underscore cells on Twitter. That's where you can pretty much find all of my projects. I am a game master for uh, Pokemon World 2 United, where I do all the Pokemon voices. I am a cast member on the Cool Kids Table. Sometimes I'm a pirate on there. It's very good. A bevy of other shows. Just check out my Twitter and you'll be able to find everything. If you listen to Gem Jammer, which you probably should, it's good. It's good. Alan is the GM of the Fallen Gods, our sort of friends, frenemies that we have crossed over with before, and we'll probably do so again. Yeah, we just got to get the scheduling figured out. Gem Jammer is one of my comfort podcasts. It brings me so much comfort. Aw, thank you. That's really sweet. I, I really feel bad about this upcoming arc now. <laughs> Look, comfort podcast can sometimes get dark. <laughs> it's just hanging out with friends is what it feels like. Sorry in advance. It's okay. That just means that I'll probably be DMing you on Twitter when I hear it screaming. Oh, please do. <laughs> I would adore that. <laughs> please tell me any and all of your gem jammer feelings. I eat them up. They are all positive. I Will Fight You comes out every five weeks. You can find us wherever you download podcasts. If you want to support us, say like, rating, you subscribe, comment, or what have you, wherever you find us is also super helpful, helps our metrics, helps us to hear nice things about ourselves. If you want to talk to us, you can do that on Twitter at CRC Podcast. Come talk to me over there, or Mackenzie tends to manage crookedrussiancam.tumblr.com, and also comment on our YouTube page and stuff. Mackenzie handles that as well. She does a great job. If you want to support us, the aforementioned things for attention, and also we have a patreon patreon.com slash the gem jam for at least a dollar a month you can get a lot of great stuff for five dollars we've been putting a lot of work into that you can hear extra podcasts extra shows bonus content lots of things but for a dollar and up you can get early access episodes to i will fight you when they are available as well as a bunch of other cool stuff if you want to check us out you can do that I am already starting out a bit. I already did. We have a website, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) CrookedRussianCam.horse or .gay. You can find information about this show as well as our other shows, Gem Jammer and Date Me Dammit, as well as links to a bunch of other stuff where you can buy some of our merchandise, give us money, what have you, whatever you want to do. TeePublic makes masks now and you can get a Roomba on it. (laughs) So until next time, I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And I'm Alan. And we have fought you. The Rum Tum Tugger is the cat who fucks. Oh yeah, Rum Tum Tugger is not the cat that fucks of my dream. There is no way that we can say Rum Tum Tugger without saying Rum Tum Tugger the cat who fucks. It is the cat who fucks. 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 Rum Tum Tugger, the cat who fucks. The cat who fucks. The cat who fucks. The cat who fucks. And there's a part where Rum Tum, the cat who fucks. Sorry, Rum Tum Tugger, the cat who fucks. And then the Rum Tum Tugger shows up. The cat who fucks. Hey! Rum Tum Tugger, the cat who fucks.
This is Rum Tum Tugger, the cat who... Ugh. But he does not have the charisma to pull off Rum Tum Tugger. He is the cat that f***s in body. Let's do it, the cat who f***s. Point where Rum Tum Tugger, the cat who tries, maybe. Rum Tum Tugger, the cat who f***s. Rum Tum Tugger, the cat who flirts is there. Rum Tum Tugger, the cat who f***s. Rum Tum Tugger, the cat who f***s is expensed during Rum Tum Tugger. The cat who f***s. The cat who f***s. And we're Rum Tum Tugger, the cat who f***s is- Then Rum Tum Tugger, the cat who is sad. Uh, and it's on Rum Tum Tugger. The cat who f***s. The cat who f***s. And he's like, hey. Rum Tum Tugger is the cat who's not here. He wakes up every day at 7 a.m. to drink some coffee and try to feel alive. Then he goes down to his f***ing job. He skimble shanks the working cat. Skimble shanks the working cat. The cat who has an actual job. Okay, I'm leaving again. Hi. God, that was loud. Sorry. We sang a song together.